What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. It's uh, it's Thursday, special edition, a day late. You know, it's December twenty first. It's uh, episode two twenty nine of the All Sooners podcast. It's the post National Signing Day show. We can't do a podcast on Wednesday when it's National Signing Day. We're going to tell you why it was an absolutely perfect day for the Oklahoma Sooners. We're uh, we're switching things up a little bit today, as you guys can see. Randall Sweet sitting in the big chair now. He said. Uh, Feels like the pressure's on him. Uh, he's joining us from Oklahoma City. Ryan's going to finish up the second, I'm sorry, the final segment from Moore. And uh, we're going to talk about, among other things, that basketball game from last night, plus mm-hmm. some Portland news. We'll get to all that stuff later. Uh, first off, though, Randall, you okay sitting in the big chair to start the segment, man? Yeah, I was saying uh, before we hopped on, it feels like I've been called up from the minors to the big leagues now that I'm uh, doing two segments today. So pressure's on. We'll see how I perform. That's right. You performed uh, unbelievably on uh, on National Signing Day. We'll get to that in a minute. So I'll, I'll tell you guys what he did. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what the kid did. It's kind of unbelievable what Oklahoma did yesterday, too. They signed all 27 of their commits yesterday. Verbal commits, 27. Signees, 27. That's impressive. They only had one decommit the whole year, and they signed the rest of the class. 27 scholarship guys, plus they landed some preferred walk-ons who don't feel like preferred walk-ons, if you get my drift. The crown jewel of of the class, of course, is five-star defensive lineman David Stone, who Randall talked to last night. There's a video up on All Sooners. Check it out. Uh, But they signed, basically, Randall, they signed an SEC defensive line. When you look across the board, my opinion, for the first time in about a decade or more, they signed an SEC-looking defensive line. They signed five offensive linemen, who many of whom look like SEC guys. Um, they f- signed seven defensive backs, one of whom might play linebacker. Um, we'll see. Uh, four wide receivers, two quarterbacks, two Zions, and a Xavier. Uh, two IMGs. They signed a little brother. They signed a big brother. They signed the best player in Oklahoma. They signed the best player in Kansas. They signed the best player in Minnesota. And Possibly the best player in Florida who's actually from Oklahoma. Uh, they signed the best running back in this country and the best offensive lineman in another country. <laughs> they signed Bobby Newcomb's son, Mike Hawkins' son, and Marcus Dupree's cousin. They signed a 2025 player, tight end, who classified to 2024. And they signed an Englishman who's already an All-American. How does this happen, Randall? They had everyone signed by 11 a.m. on National Signing Day. It was amazing. And it was really amazing when you consider heading into the summer, I think OU only had, what, like five commitments? Uh, I think that it was something that we talked about that a lot of OU fans talked about being really concerned about what was happening with this 2024 class. Where was this going? What direction was this going to take? I think that it's a great job by Brent Venables. You mentioned not only to get, you know, kind of some of the guys you mentioned, you know, uh, the, uh, there was a lot of uh, guys in this class with, that had that football bloodline. Like you, you mentioned some of them, but there, I mean, going through my evaluation, studying these guys, there was a lot of those those players whose parents played uh, in college or in the NFL or something like that. And and I think that um, you know Brent Venables being able to get, I think you know around twenty two guys, uh, like you said, some talented preferred walk ons too to all join this class uh, throughout the summer and this fall season, I think, and and get this class into the top 10 for OU. I think that that really shows how good of a recruiter Brent Venables and how good of a recruiting staff he has uh, with him. I mean, we always hear 
uh, from every, I, every one of these guys I talk to, whenever I say, what's your relationship like with the coaches? They, every single one of them raves about their relationship with Brent Venables and their position coach, which I think that that that's huge. Not only to have that relationship with the position coach, but to know that the head coach, whether you're a three-star recruit or a five-star recruit, uh, he's there for you. He's, he thinks he values that, that person. And, and they, they really take the time to get to know all these guys, to get to know their families, to build that relationship. And every guy says it really feels like a family atmosphere. They love the, um, the off the field, non-football side of things. Uh, in addition to obviously what, uh, OU has been putting out on the field. Yeah, something Brent Venables mentioned in his press conference yesterday, which was over in about 30 minutes. Uh, he had other obligations, including a hit on the SEC network. That was pretty interesting. He had to cut us short because he had to jump on the SEC network. Um, among the things he said, and it was an answer to my question right after he reminded me, uh, basically, I, I have to keep these answers short because everybody's got a question. <laughs> so I think it's his way of res respond or uh, pre uh, maybe what's the word uh cut not cutting me off but just reminding me don't ask any follow-up questions because okay. that's kind of the way yesterday was it was quick it was bang 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 but one of the questions he answered in regards to my sec question was um being relational and not transactional mm -hmm. he has said that in his two years a hundred times and he said it again yesterday because mm -hmm. specific to this class that's what he wants that's what that's the kind of guys there's a reason they only had one decommit. There's a reason they signed 27 out of 27. There's a reason that there was no drama yesterday whatsoever. I think Taylor Tatum hung on for like an extra 30 minutes and signed during the press conference or sent his signature in during the press conference and allowed Brent Venables to then talk about him. Uh, but there was no drama. It's, he's got quality guys. He's got quality people. He's got quality players for sure. And uh, let's look at the class rankings real quick. Number six nationally. Oklahoma is in the rivals class rankings, number eight in the 24-7 sports and number eight in the on three rankings. So 24-7 from when I looked at it, when I closed my laptop last night, was number nine. When I left Norman, it was number 10. When I got home, it was number nine. And this morning when I woke up, 24-7 sports rankings had changed. OU is number eight. So that's the latest. Uh, by the time I get this podcast posted, maybe they'll be number seven. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, like we mentioned, you know, getting that top 10 class, that's really crucial as you head into the SEC because, I mean, I, I know that later in Bob Stoops' career, OU's recruiting classes weren't as high as they as they have been, you know, kind of since then. And OU was still able to put together some good seasons and win. But heading into the SEC, if you're not going to be recruiting, if you're not going to be landing in those top 10 recruiting classes, you're just not going to be competing for national championships. And that's, that's I mean, it's almost, I don't want to say it's a simple fact because, but I mean, essentially, that's that's how, what you have to do is you have to be towards the top five. You have to be in that top 10 for sure. Twice in a row now, Brent Venables has done that. Uh, and like you said, these guys that they got are not just like oh, three times in a row. Right. Right. Um, and and these guys that they got are not just, you know, talented players. These guys are players that will help them transition into the SEC. I talked to someone um, at at uh, David Stone and Michael's uh, Michael Patterson McDonald signing last night. And he asked me, he said, well, what do you, what do you think about OU transitioning into the SEC? He said he thought it would be a little bit of a transitional period. And I think that that's, that's something that's still on the table. But I do think that these guys that OU is bringing in are going to be, I think those guys are going to be the ones that are ready to play in the SEC. Those are the SEC recruits 
that we talked about. I mean, you mentioned the defensive line. I hope I'm not jumping ahead here. But, I mean, the guys that they were able to bring in on the defensive line with David Stone, with Nigel Smith, with Jaden Jackson, I mean, throw Wyatt Gilmore into that list. Those guys, those are SEC players. I mean, those guys are big. They're strong already. They've already got really good frames. And when they get into the OU weight room with Jerry Schmidt, those guys are going to be able to really, really develop into some, like we talk about, SEC defensive linemen. These guys with big, long arms. They're physical. They're good athletes. Uh, just guys that are nasty in the trenches. And and in the SEC, we, I feel like a broken record saying it, but in the SEC specifically, offensive and defensive lines, you have to win in the trenches. Otherwise, I mean, you'll just get pulverized. Yeah, that, and that was the crux of my question for Brent yesterday was, Coach, you've um, – you've at Clemson, you were at Clemson for a decade. You saw up close and personal every year somebody from the SEC, right? You're, you're recruiting against somebody from the SEC, every, every player that you're recruiting at Clemson. Uh, many of your staff members have coached against or with SEC teams. You guys know what an SEC player looks like. You know what an SEC team looks like. Now, and the way I phrased the question was you've got the, the in your three classes, the number 10 class, the number six class, and now the number, what I say, eight in 24-7 class, uh, stacking them on top of each other. How close are you to having that SEC-type roster? And, boy, he went in. He talked about the SEC being all-encompassing. I'll read you the quote. I uh, got it right here. Um, he said, it's all-encompassing. It's incredibly competitive. It's relentless. It's year-round. It's challenging. There's smart coaches, and there's a lot of programs that have resources like Oklahoma. Uh, it's a very real competition, and it's one that isn't just going to go away. We're going to win some and not win some, he said. And immediately my my prediction of 2024 popped into my head of 8-4. and four. You're going to win more than you lose, and that's what he said. You need to win more than you lose. So everybody from in the program, from the president all the way down to the athletic director, and then everybody else, the recruiting staff, coaches, families, players, everybody, there's a real commitment to it. I don't think there's anybody here that doesn't recognize what's in front of us right now. That was Brent Venables yesterday in response to my question about stacking SEC-type classes. Now, Randall, here's um, something. That I just want to pitch this. These are not final rankings. It's early signing period. It's only December, right? The finals, final rankings will come out in February. Uh, and guys can, guys have signed, they're signed. Okay. So they're in, but other guys who have committed somewhere else can still flip or still sign, or there's plenty of guys out there who haven't signed. OU right now is making a big push by all reports, uh, for Texas A&M commit Dominic McKinley, who's a five-star defensive lineman. He didn't sign yesterday. The Sooners are still after him, Randall. Yeah, and I mean, again, we're talking about these SEC defensive line classes. I mean, if if you, on top of the guys you have already, like like we mentioned, Jaden Jackson, Nigel Smith, uh, David Stone, of course, if you're able to get another five star defensive lineman on top of that, I mean, I don't even that just is the that's more than the cherry on top. I mean, that's the whole freaking Sunday, you know. Uh, I mean, the, that's Dominic McKinley is another super talented, just nasty physical guy that will get down in the trenches that I mean and I can't I can't even really imagine what a, a defensive line with him and David Stone next to each other could look like I mean David Stone's got that that versatility where he can go inside kind of go outside and I think if you play him next to Dominic McKinley those two could just be absolute wrecking balls up front I mean just real forces on the interior of the defensive line those guys are big they're athletic again really I mean again I feel like a broken record but 
all the traits that you'd expect at a big time five-star SEC defensive lineman. And we talk about what those guys look like, how they play. That's what those guys look like. And so uh, OU, I think that um, when uh, McKinley played in the state championship, I think that OU sent some uh, representatives down there to, to kind of talk with him, uh, to walk, uh, to, to see where he was at. Um, obviously, the uh, the smoke around him possibly flipping from AM, I think a lot of that stems from um, one, their head coach obviously getting fired midseason. Two, their interim head coach, who was AM's defensive line coach. So uh, the guy who would have been M- McKinley's specific position coach uh, took the defensive coordinator job at Syracuse. Um, and so that's why I think you've seen a lot of those defensive linemen either decommit or exit through the transfer portal at Texas AM because, I mean, it's, you can't really blame those kids. Their coach is gone, right? Um, and so I think that uh, while McKinley, I don't think he's decommitted quite yet, uh, that definitely remains a possibility as it does in any coaching situation, especially like we, like I just said, when your position coach leaves. Um, so I think that OU is going to continue to push hard on that trail. I think that um, they're going to try to do what they can to bring him to Norman um, over the next few uh, over the next few weeks. Try to try to get him on campus for a visit. Um, I don't know exactly when the dead period ends and thing or starts and things like that. So I don't know exact dates, but I, I would. I would be surprised if OU didn't try, at least try to get him to Norman before uh, the regular signing period. That's in February, right? Early, right. early February. So I think, um, I think that uh, that OU until then is going to be in a, a heavy competition uh, with Texas A&M, of course, still. And I think LSU and Texas are probably not going to go away either. I think that they also, like OU, can smell the blood in the water with McKinley at A&M. And I think that, again, LSU being so close, I think, is definitely going to try to make a push. And Texas also, you know, being a big pull of kids in that region, I think, especially the way that they've been recruiting and playing this season. It's going to it'll be hard, but I think that OU has a good good chance. I think OU was in a good spot with McKinley before he committed to AM. And now that um, now that that defensive line coach that he originally committed to is at Syracuse. I think his name was Elijah Robinson, I think. Um, now I think OU's got a real chance. And and again, nothing official yet, but uh, something, something definitely to keep an eye on because OU's not going to go away. Yeah, as good as they were yesterday, they can get better. And I just had a flash of of the 2025 season in my head when Venables, it's third and eight. Venables calls for the nickel defense, and you've got Stone kicking out to defensive end, and you've got Nigel Smith playing defensive end. That t- here's 275, 280 probably by the time he gets to be, to be in college. And then here's Nigel Smith at 260, 270. Uh, playing defensive end, and then you got Jaden Jackson in the middle, and they go meet at the quarterback. That's my just vision that popped into my head when you start yeah. talking about those guys. So, listen, uh, you guys need to know this. If you want to learn about the 2024 class, you have to go to allsooners.com. Mm-hmm. We've got video interviews. We've got profiles on all 32 guys, yeah, even the walk-ons. Uh, Randall did a video eval on all 27 scholarship guys and more. Uh, we have players, each player's high school highlights. I created this file called Signing Day Central, and I counted it up. I'm not even exaggerating. I'm not kidding. I'm not stretching the math. It's got like 150 links. It's got links. It's got each player has five links. So there's like 30 players, five links, 150, 150 links, guys going to take you to the players highlights going to take you to interviews that we did with them interviews that if we didn't do interviews with them i found them on youtube for you so you can check on those uh, youtube interviews with some other media around the area and around the country uh we've got links to their original commitment story the breaking news story that happened when they committed we've got randall's eval where he sits and talks to the camera and tells you what's good and what's good not so good about each guy 
We've got each player's profile that Randall wrote up, an individual profile on each player. Again, every player has five links. So it's literally everything you need on signing day. And it's centralized. That's why we call it signing day central. Check it out. It is posted at the top of the football page. Um, a couple of quotes from Brent Venables yesterday, Randall, stood out to me. And, and I'm going to support this quote with the statistic that I dug up. He says, this is our third class, and it's our best one up to this point in time. I think time will tell. He thinks it's their best class. It's not their highest rated per se, but per player. Like when I say highest rated per se, I mean like the team ranking is XXX dot XX, you know, whatever that number, whatever that value is. This isn't the highest rated class, but um, number eight. So the last year's class was number six, right? Last year's class would be rated higher, right? Well, maybe, maybe not. Here's what I found. 21 guys signed yesterday, and they rank, and using 24-7 sports here, those 21 guys rank among the top 40 at their position nationally. 21 of the 27 rank among the top 40 at their position nationally. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. How does that compare with uh, previous years? Had 17 last year, had 17 the year before. So when you're talking about Okay, first of all, you're stacking classes. That's that's important. That's huge. You're going in the SEC, and that's why I asked BV that question. Yeah. But this class has 21 guys who are the best available at their position, top 40. Okay, that's 21 is more than 17. You're getting more value out of this class than you got out of last year's class and the class before. And last year's class, we all agree, those dudes, those were some dudes, and a lot of them played. A lot of them played this year and yeah. contributed this year, and are going to mm. be expected play a lot next year so i'm just saying this 2023 uh, 2024 class is really really good yeah and and i mean uh you know last year obviously had that kind of crown jewel at the top with with pj atabuare this year you've got that crown jewel at the top kind of you know with david stone but i think that uh you know just like last year's class this year's class has a ton of guys who uh, you know, might not come in and, and take starting roles in their first year in Norman, but, you know, like you mentioned, they're so good. A lot of these guys are so physically ready already, and they will be, when, especially after a semester, um, you know, enrolling in January, that these guys could, could like you said, earn, contribu- or earn time on the field, make contributions to the, the team next year uh, as freshmen in the SEC. I think that, um, that that's not a stretch to think that a lot of these guys could, could earn some snaps uh, quickly. Now, again, I don't think it'll be, you know, starter snaps or, or they'll, they'll anything like that. But I do think that, you know, a lot of these guys are so, so um, physically ready that, uh, that they can come in, like I said, again, meeting with Jerry Schmidt, getting kind of used to the football. I mean, think about a guy like Xavier Robinson, right? I mean, he's probably already heavier than a handful of the running backs that OU's got on their roster. Uh, and he'll, he's already, he's already there training with the team. You know, he gets, gets that extra semester, gets the summer to get his body right with, with uh with jerry schmidt that's a guy that you know probably won't start at running back as a freshman but if he took a few snaps or if he got some special teams reps i don't think that would surprise anyone um and so uh and then xavier robinson's a three-star recruit right that's not even to mention oh you got the number one running back in the class um and so just just things like that i think that there's good depth throughout the class um even the guys that aren't necessarily like seen as the superstars a guy like a wyatt gilmore you mentioned he's the number one player in minnesota he's a pretty highly rated edge uh that's that's a guy who even if, again, he's not a, a superstar, he doesn't come in and he starts as a freshman, that's probably a guy that's pretty good depth throughout his career at Oklahoma. I mean, even guys like 
like some of the lower rated recruits, even a guy like Eli Bowen. What did Brett Venables say? He's one of the best football players in the country. Um, and so I think that I think another thing, in addition to looking at rank uh, rankings of you know where these players are rated, you know, stars, uh, numbers, things like that, is that that Brent Venables and company, they trust their evaluations. These guys, they see ways for these players to fit into their offense, their defense. They see ways that that player has a skill set that can help them, that that they could utilize something like that. I think that that's a really key um, key thing to remember, too, is that these guys are are pretty solid in their evaluations. Um, I, I, one guy that comes to mind in last year's class that was kind of like that is Josiah Wagner, a guy who wasn't rated as highly, but as soon as he got to campus, everybody raved about Josiah Wagner. When we talked to him at the uh, the media day, I think in August, with a lot of the newcomers, the freshmen, the transfers, he said he was like, I, I felt like I was really underrated coming out of high school. And Brent Venables and company did a good job of evaluating him. He earned real snaps as a freshman, despite not even being the highest cornerback recruit in last year's class. Right. I think that this year's class, there's a lot of guys like that who might not be rated as highly in you know recruiting rankings. People, fans might see it and and maybe brush it, um, and not brush them off, but not not uh, focus as much on that player. But I think that the evaluations, um, the um, the scouting that Brent Venables and his staff does, I think that they are. They're really, really solid in that. I think they, they are good at finding guys who fit what they want to do, uh, not only on the field, but I think they're really, really good at finding guys that fit. And you mentioned this personality-wise, guys who who match the um, the attitude, the um, kind of the uh, the mentality that Brent Venables wants uh, in the Oklahoma program. Yeah, uh, sorry, just planning ahead for the next segment here, uh, ty- typing out some notes to myself, but I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to go we're not going to dive into like every player and do an, an eval right here you want to you want randall's evals you got to click on randall's eval it's on the website right but uh we'll go over the names we'll go over the positions and give you thumbs up or thumbs down right uh, it's national signing day so who would possibly give a thumbs down on national signing day these are all good players offensive line they got five guys they got an entirely they lost their entire starting five for next year so that's okay because they're bringing in five new ones right <laughs> that's, that's how this works uh daniel akankumi from England, uh, Joshua A. Sosa from Edmond. Uh, let's see. Eugene, Eugene Eddie Brooks. Pierre-Louis. Eddie Pierre-Louis, yep. Yeah, Eddie Pierre-Louis um, from Tampa. Uh, Florida. Tampa. From Tampa. Yep. Uh, Eugene Brooks from... Sierra Canyon. California, yeah, California. And uh, Isaiah Autry from Mississippi. He's the one that is, uh, you guys know by now, is uh, Marcus Dupree's cousin. That's your offensive line. Two running backs, Xavier Robinson and Taylor Tatum. All right, um, four wide receivers. It was five at one point. They d- had a decommit here, and they didn't. I, I don't think they replaced that commitment uh, specifically with a wide receiver. They got KJ Daniels, Zion Raggins, um, Zion Kearney, Kearney, and uh, Yvonne Carrion. Uh, yeah. They do have a cut tight end commit from the twenty-five class originally, reclassified to twenty twenty-four. Devon Mitchell. He was the number one tight end in the country in the 25 class, and some people think he could be the number one tight end in the country in the 2024 class. He's that good. I made the statement after seeing him in person. I made the statement he could come in and start right away. Last year, 2023, as a high school senior, what he should have been a high school junior. So he's that good. Uh, And then, of course, at quarterback, you've got Michael Hawkins and Brendan Zerbrug. Again, we've talked to all these guys. We've seen them play. Most of them play a lot, especially around here live. Um, We've got evaluations. We've got uh, interviews with them and all that good stuff, allsooners.com. You need to get on there and just get on the recruiting tag and click around and find all that stuff. 
Um, thoughts on just those guys. Uh, who's the top offensive lineman, Randall? Who's the top running back, Taylor Tatum? Probably going to get your vote there. But you know what I mean? Just kind of go through position and find out where the winners are for Oklahoma. Yeah, well, I think on the offensive line, I think um, you know later in the process they got a real winner there in, in Eddie Pierre-Louis, um, guy who played um, kind of all over the offensive line. Well, mostly, honestly, played tackle in, in high school. I think that he'll probably play on the interior in college. I don't think that that's uh, much of a secret. I think everyone kind of knows that's where his future lies. Um, but a guy who is already like 6'3", 330 pounds, so just a massive human being already. And I, I think I talked about it a few weeks ago before he actually committed to OU. But if you go, you watch his, um, go to his Twitter page, you can find a video of him running the 100-meter dash and track, uh, which is really impressive Which at, for as fast as he runs at, at a guy that's 330. But just illustrates the mobility. Was his time. 12.89 was his time. Yeah, that's insane for a guy who's 330 pounds. That is nuts. Yeah, um, crazy. So first off, the athleticism, and I know people say, well, how often is an offensive line going to be running 40 yards downfield? Well, if you've watched Bill Biedenboe's offense, you know that that's kind of the goal, uh, is to get those guys moving downfield, to get those guys to climb to the second level, to take out defensive backs, to take out linebackers. Guess what? Eddie Pierre-Louis can do that. That's the mobility, the speed that he's got, and, and the strength, the aggressiveness, and the effort that he plays with. If you watch the, the highlights that we have on allsooners.com of him, you'll, there's plays where he's running 40 yards downfield to try to knock a defensive back out of the way of his running back or whoever has the ball. Um, and you, you watch him peel up to the second level and just bury a linebacker into the dirt. And watching that, you, you, it's easy to think that – it's easy to see where Bill Beatonwood goes, I want that guy. That's my guy. Because that, that's, I mean, really, it looks like the, the successful guards that Bill Biedenboe's had at OU, that's what Eddie Pierre-Louis' high school tape looks like, is a lot of what those guys did in college. And so I think that, um, I think he'll he'll slide right in. If he's got the, the Bill Biedenboe mentality, if he can take kind of that harsh coaching of, of how Bill Biedenboe is, if he gets in good with Jerry Schmidt, then I think that Eddie Pierre-Louis has the potential to be a special offensive lineman. And I think he's a guy, I don't want to, I mean, I'm not trying to compare him to Caden Green, but I just mean a guy who can step in and play early. Not not play styles, nothing else. Just a guy who's got the athleticism, the talent, the size to step in and make a contribution, even if it's not as a freshman, early in his career. Um, I, I also want to, Quickly, uh, I won't take too long, but Isaiah Autry, I think that he's really underrated. Guy who's 6'7", 300 pounds. He's a power lifter out uh, out in Fulton, Mississippi, uh, Itawamba Agricultural High School. So I think that those three three, um, factors combined, the long arms, the length, 6'7", and being a power lifter, you know he's not not afraid to get get busy in the weight room. I think that that's something that Bill Beatonbow really likes. If you look at a lot of his tackles, they're really big, really physical, strong guys who uh, he can can usually take – those three-star recruits mold them into guys who become high NFL draft picks. I think Autry has that yeah. potential on the line. This on Autry, uh, his cousin, Marcus Debris, we've said that his mom played basketball for Pat Summit. Yep. He comes from an incredibly athletic family. Uh, yep. And so so look for that. You know, I don't know if it's going to be 2024, 2025, but I think he's going to be a major contributor. He's going to wow. be an all-conference, all-American type guy. That's my guess. I think – I think I'm looking forward to the most is uh, Akinkumi coming from yeah. – academy in england i want to see him on the field i want to see him uh getting his hands on guys you know Mm -hmm. well when when he talked to us you know i'm sure you'll remember he told us he said i love doing inside run i love hitting that's my favorite part i love to get the pads hot um and and again that's something that i'm sure bill biedenboe loves to hear uh akin kumi is another guy who's a really really good athlete uh again he told us he played basketball before he even started playing football and he's only been playing football for a few years so uh, to kind of to kind of garner some of the attention that he did after being so new to the game, I think that he's another guy that if if he's able to to take that harsh coaching from Bill Biedenboe and, and develop into the to 
the player he's got. I think he's got a world of potential. Again, the sport's so new to him, but he's got the perfect frame for uh, an athletic offensive lineman. Footwork of a basketball player usually helps uh, those uh, guys that play out on the the exterior tackles, stuff like that. We'll see where he plays. He played all five spots, and he truly did play all five spots in high school uh, at the NFL Academy. So we'll see what the future holds for him at the collegiate level. But I, I agree. I think he's a guy that's got a lot of potential uh, as he comes to America in January. What are your thoughts on the running backs? Well, I think that uh, I, mean, I kind of touched on Xavier Robinson. I think that he's someone that's being underrated. I think his size, the um, the, the ability he has to break tackles, I think will uh, will be very good in the SEC when, once he's a bit of an older player. I think Taylor Tatum is a guy who would come in, step in, and make an immediate impact. I mean, especially given what we saw out of OU's running back room this this past year. Um, you know, Gavin Suchuk had a good year, but no one really leaped out and grabbed that um, that running back role like we've seen in the past. I think that. If you'll remember the uh, 2017 season, heading into it, I, man, I wasn't a media member then. I was a high school student. But uh, it kind of felt like um, there wasn't a clear-cut number one running back until Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon, both of those guys came and they took those roles. They, I mean, Rodney Anderson had an incredible season, and, and Trey Sermon was a really good number two as a true freshman. So I think that um, while this season we didn't see anyone step up and, and, and grab that role, kind of take it and com- take command of the starting running back position, I think that um, – if no one does that again this season, I think that Taylor Tatum uh, will be fresh in line to get a good amount of carries. He's a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's already over 200 pounds, so you, I don't really think you need to worry about him withstanding some of those hits in the SEC. He's got, got a good frame already. Um, but just a guy who, great vision. Brent Venables talked about speed, power, good uh, pad level when he runs the ball. I think he is a home run hit. I mean, of course, number one running back in the country. I think another running back that they got that's a bit of an underrated uh, signing is Andy Bass, uh, joining as a, one of those weird NIL walk-on type deals. So he's kind of a scholarship player, kind of a walk-on. I think he technically falls under the classification of a walk-on, but a guy who is, um, you, you mentioned it uh, at, at the top, he's a lot better than, uh, and a lot. I think he'll have a lot more of an impact than a lot of walk-ons uh, do, especially early in their career. The knee injury is unfortunate for him because I, I think it'll slow down his production, obviously, as a freshman, he probably won't get to see the field at all, really, probably still be recovering. But I think that as he progresses in his career, the skill set that he has, I think he's a guy who could definitely see the field. Uh, and, and and the guy who um, kind of gets a lot of those all-purpose touches, whether it's returning kicks, punts, whether it's in the slot, whether it's playing wildcat quarterback, or just in the backfield as a running back, I think that he'll be on the field quite a bit because for those who haven't seen him play, he is very fast. He plays with great speed. He ran a 10-5 in the 100 at 200 pounds, which is pretty good. Uh, and and again, 200 pounds, if you've seen him in person, he's really, really, really well built already. Uh, he told us his dad's a Marine, so he's not afraid of uh, some hard work, which I think that'll be good for when he gets to OU. Uh, but I think that the athleticism, that blend of size and speed is perfect for a running back. I mean, that's what you want. I think that Andy Bass, the versatility he has, um, I think that that'll lend itself well. I think that he was a really, really good pickup, especially as a NIL walk-on. If you guys watched our interview, you'll know that he told me that his goal is to be back on the field by September, nine months. That'll be nine months out of surgery. He's having surgery tomorrow, Friday, he told me. So uh, that nine months later is uh, the season opener, basically. He wants and, to be and for that, so we'll see. I think Hooven and I can both attest. Andy Bass is a great young man. We've both gotten the chance to interview him. Uh, he's, he's a good interview, good, 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 good dude. Uh, definitely rooting for him. Um, wide receivers, they got K.J. Daniels and Zion Raggins as the speedsters, Zion Kearney and uh, Yvonne Carrion as the big bodies. They like both of the, all four of those guys at those two positions. Um, which one do you like uh, for making an impact next year? 
Uh, I think I think Zion Kearney. Now, I, I, that might be a little bit of a cop out answer because he is the highest rated. Sorry, I just got an Amber Alert. Yeah, I'm going with Zion Raggins. <laughs> Zion Raggins, okay. Um, well, my, my apologies for that Amber Alert that just popped up. Uh, uh, but yeah, the uh, I think I think Zion Kearney again, a little bit of a cop out. He's the one of the higher rated guys. I think that, like you mentioned, he's the he's kind of a big bodied outside guy. He might not be as tall as Nick Anderson. Um, but he's he's big. He's really really well built already, and he's kind of a height weight speed guy. Where he's got um, again, I think he's like six two, two hundred ten pounds already. So that's already like ten pounds more than Ceedee Lamb uh, whenever he was coming through OU. Uh, he's really he's a really fast player. Plays with a lot of speed. Um, the offense that he was in at um, Hightower High School is it didn't really lend itself well to his skill set. And so I think that when he, I mean, we, I saw in person at the Brent Venables um, football camp over the summer that um, he and Michael Hawkins, they've already developed a good relationship. I saw um, Zion Kearney beat multiple guys down the field. Hawkins hit him perfectly in stride. So I think once he's in an offense, a quarterback that kind of accentuates his skill set more, I think you'll really start to see him pop off. I think that um, another another guy that I, I, I honestly leaned to was Yvonne uh, Carrion, a guy who I've seen in person. I went down there to Lubbock uh, to see him, and I think that um, I think people will be surprised because when you look at that six six build, you think jump ball receiver, right? But whenever I actually saw him play, that's not really how he's used at all. He's a guy who's a great possession receiver. Every time they gave him the ball, it felt like it was 10, 15 yards because he's so big, knows how to use his his length, his long arms, long catch radius uh, to kind of box guys out. You know, again, get 10, 15 yards every play, but. He's a, we've talked about it. He's a track guy. He runs hurdles, runs the 110 hurdles. So he's got the speed to beat guys deep, and he did that. Uh, there was one play where he ran past the defender. He's got the long arms, throw it up, and he got it. Uh, scored a touchdown. Another play where he's able to break a few tackles and get to the end zone. I think that that's a guy who um, is kind of going under the radar a little bit. Um, I think that he he I, he, re- he really reminds me of a guy like Jaden Gibson, watching him yeah. play. Okay, I think we have a consensus opinion on uh, Devon Mitchell, he's going to be a stud and probably going to be a stud next year. So let's move to quarterbacks. Um, Michael Hawkins is going to get all the pub in this class because of, especially because of the year he had yeah. at the level of football that he played in, in Texas. He's uh, he turned it on in terms of running the football. He became mm-hmm. more active in the, as a runner down the stretch. They needed him in the playoffs and he turned mm-hmm. it on he was phenomenal. He was fantastic. But, but if we're going to say, Michael Hawkins or Brendan Zerbrug. I'm not kicking Brendan Zerbrug to the corner. This kid loves to run hurdles. He said he, he told me on the interview he's going to miss running hurdles this year. Mm-hmm. He's extremely athletic, extremely explosive, extremely fast. Uh, he's going to be a guy three years from now. Are we going to be looking at him in a in a, not as a record-setting Heisman Trophy winner, but more of a Sam Bradford light? Remember Sam when Sam was recruited? Sam was a three-star kid from Oklahoma City, and he was just a top – got t- tossed in there at the last minute and, and uh, you know, some coaches wanted Mike Leach wanted him and, you know, Michigan wanted him. And then all of a sudden Chuck Long came along with the scholarship offer and it's like, Oh, Sam Bradford, huh? who's this guy? Redshirt freshman year. People are saying he's going to win the job. I'm like, really? Sam Bradford? Really? That's what I'm saying about Brendan Zerberg. Are we going to be three years from now saying who's going to win this job? Who's going to win this job? And somebody's going to say Brendan Zerberg because he's good. Yeah, I, I think that he um, he's definitely an underrated quarterback prospect. Uh, you know, his dad actually played quarterback at Michigan, so he's kind of gotten some uh, some coaching at home from that. But yeah, I think that he um, again the offense. I think that he was in really uh, not that it didn't lend itself well to his skill set. I think it did. It, it let, allowed him to run. He 
was over a thousand yards. I think this season, or I know he was over a thousand yards this season. I think he has been the past two seasons, both, but I think that in a more college style offense, it'll allow him to kind of use um, his arm more, uh, kind of play to, to his strength in that sense. Not that I don't think that he's like, you know, the biggest armed guy, like a Spencer Rattler, where he can throw the ball the length of the field. But I think that he's got the, um, the accuracy and the, the quick, um, the ball get he can get the ball out of his hand quick enough to be really really dangerous in you know short intermediate areas of the field and when you combine that with his running ability that that really feels like uh, you know how you build a successful college offense right you get the ball out quick uh, to some some really good designed routes you run, you have a mobile quarterback who can attack defenses kind of stretch um, make, maybe make them thin thin out their defensive backs because you've got to spy the quarterback stuff like that. Um, I think that the, I don't think Brendan was a big seven on seven guy because he yeah. runs track because he was so right. involved in track. He was more right. competitive in track versus I'm going to get my name out there as a quarterback. And so he's maybe a right. little underrated. Yeah. I, I, and yeah, I think so. I totally agree with that. You're right. Not, not a guy that we really saw much on the seven on seven circuit. And again, that's because he was running a lot of track and he was all Ohio uh, hurdler, I think twice as a track guy. So the, again, very, very accomplished track career. It's not just, great, guy. but he also was all Ohio quarterback too. Right. Right. And, and, and we've talked about it. It's not like Ohio's just some middle of the nowhere podunk state. They play really good high level football in the state of Ohio. Um, and, and, you know, Reggie powers, I'm sure he can attest to that uh, coming from Centerville and Dayton. It's not, they, they play high level high school football. It's probably one of the better States for high school football. I'd say it's definitely in the top 10. Um, and so, so Brendan Zerberg, he saw some good competition. He put up great numbers. Uh, like you said, I think he was, I think he was district player of the year. I think he was all Ohio quarterback in addition to being an all Ohio hurdler, uh, that athleticism, it'll be interesting. I think Seth Luttrell, um, and maybe, maybe at North Carolina had a pretty athletic mobile quarterback. Uh, if I'm rem- I can't remember his name. I was in middle school. Huh? Trubisky was his quarterback there, wasn't it? Oh, maybe, well, maybe it wasn't middle school then. Maybe it was high school that I'm thinking of, but uh, I think that he was able to build a pretty good offense around some of the mobile quarterbacks that Latrell's had in the past. So if Zerbrug does end up showing that that you know he's got the skill set to take that that starting job, then I think that uh, that Latrell, um, given that that skill set, uh, I think could could build a good offense around him. You mentioned Hawkins. I was I was very very impressed. I, I mean I think that that I know it might sound dumb, and I, I don't want to put too much stock into it, but the way that he performed in the Texas high school playoffs really opened my eyes to a lot of the skill set that he has because I did think that he was more of a, not, not necessarily a statue back there, but a guy who who thrived more in structure. Um, but I think that watching this Texas State playoffs, seeing him dice up uh, some of these top tier defenses, I mean, uh, anyone who knows Texas high school football knows Colleyville Heritage is kind of always one of the, a, a stout team in the state of Texas. And Emerson, who's a very new high school, diced him up and beat him in the state playoffs to get to the state semifinals where they played South Oak Cliff. And again, anyone who knows Texas high school football, you know, South Oak Cliff's one of those. I mean, they're an extremely high level team, tons of D1 guys all over the field. So, uh, you know, Michael Hawkins and company went toe to toe with those guys. Um, You mentioned it. He showed the mobility that I was I was honestly uh, surprised. I didn't realize that he was able to run as well as he was. Uh, not only was it just him getting into the open field, but he was able to make a few guys miss, beat some guys down the sideline with his speed. I was impressed. And, and the thing that really caught my eye, we know he's a good decision maker. He's a smart guy. Uh, that's kind of one of the things that to me has been um, one of his skill sets. But the way that he was able to throw on the run in the Texas playoffs, seeing some of those throws he made while he was moving, that was yeah. what was really impressive to me. Because, it, again, I feel like we've said the word SEC or the phrase 
SEC a million times. But in the SEC, you're not going to have a clean pocket every time. There's going to be a lot of times where you have to escape, where you have to make something happen out of structure. And I think that what he showed in the Texas high school state playoffs, again, against the top competition at the high school level, is that he can do that. That That's not an issue for him. Uh, he was able to deliver some strikes. And if you go back to his high school film when uh, Devon Mitchell was playing at Allen, when those two were teammates at Allen High School, he did a lot of that then, too. It was a lot of, all right, I'm going to scramble around. And, oh, look, Devon Mitchell's down there. Let me chuck it down there, and I'll find him for a, for a touchdown. So I think that those two being back together, um, united, I think that'll help, too. They seem to have a good relationship. That quarterback-tight end relationship, always important in an offense. So I think uh, I think that I think that OU's got two good quarterbacks in this class, which is a great problem to have because – while they probably won't both get the chance to start at OU, the competition is just going to be fierce and it's going to make them both better. Uh, eventually, you'll get to pick the best guy. And I think that that's, again, the competition that will improve them both. And then in the end, you get to, you know, you get to just look and say, all right, uh, you know, if they, if they do both pan out, which I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't, then uh, you get to just choose the better option for your team going forward. Again, you knuckleheads, my comp for uh, Brendan Zerbrug is not Sam Bradford. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> the comp was he's tossed into this class late behind another quarterback. He's underrated because he was playing – he was busy playing so many other sports like Sam was. So that's my comp is yeah. the way Sam Bradford kind of came in under the radar and then exploded when he got here. Yeah. Uh, if, if he can uh, explode like that, set records, set national records, and win a Heisman Trophy and take his team to the national championship game, I think OU fans would take that. Tell you what we'll do. Um, we're going to continue the recruiting talk in the next segment. We're going to get into the defense next, plus our picks for the top offensive and defensive freshman next year, not named David Stone. <laughs> uh, flying under the radar, who our favorite recruits are, just from our interactions with them over the past year. All that's next. Don't forget Ryan's coming up on the All Centers podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, second segment of the All Sooners podcast. If you guys are on social media, you're on the Twitter, give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John A. Weaver. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman, C-H-A-P-M-A-N. Follow Ross at Ross Lovelace, and Randall is at Randall Sweet, the number five. Follow him for all the latest recruiting because, guys, I'm telling you, what he did yesterday, I would challenge any website, any recruiting coverage in America. The dude posted himself, posted 67 pieces of content, plus last night, so 68 technically. Well, 69 because he posted two last night. Just, just Randall by himself. Uh, the video evals on each player where he talks into the camera and talks about how great each player is, right? What's good and what's bad. He also talked, or he also wrote each player's individual profile for everybody that signed with the Sooners yesterday. Even walk-ons. Even the walk-ons. He is a manimal. He is a <laughs> workhorse. He is a force of nature, Randall Sweet. And if you're not following him on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing. You need to follow him at Randall Sweet 5 
The website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And I want to reiterate, All Sooners is free. You don't have to give us your credit cards, your signups, your emails, your passwords, your account numbers, or anything like that, because it's free. All Sooners is all free. This segment of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Thanks again to those guys for being the, the sponsor of this segment. Regarding retirement, I have to ask you, what is your largest risk in retirement? Hmm? I'll tell you, because it's longevity. The longer you live, the more likely you are to run out of money. The more likely the stock market is going to take a dip. The more likely taxes are going to go up, right? The more likely inflation is going to continue eating into your retirement funds. There's one and only one way to take longevity risk off the table, and that is with guaranteed lifetime income. Because if you don't have guaranteed lifetime income stream in place, you may still be able to retire. But math and science tells us, proves that you are probably not going to be happy in retirement because you're going to be afraid to spend your money, right? So if you're afraid of running out of money, that's no way to retire. So let us show you how to make sure you have guaranteed paychecks coming in to cover your basic expenses, and then you can use your investments for your paychecks. You can visit the website, infiniteassetadvisors.com, or call 512-710-0130. I need you all to understand, Infinite Asset Advisors is owned and operated by lifelong Sooner fans. So thanks to those guys again. Randall, there's a handful of guys that are at OU right now, today, this very second, Thursday, December 21st, 1 o'clock p.m. There are a handful of guys that are practicing with the team ahead of the Alamo Bowl. Holy crap, I forgot about the Alamo Bowl. Oh, my <laughs> God. December 28th, San Antonio, 8-15 kickoff. Uh, have they already played that? No, that's later. It's coming up <laughs> later. Yeah, I, I think they're playing a Pac-12 team or something. I'm kidding. Oh, yeah. It's Arizona point is we've been focused on recruiting and signing day but uh seriously x rob xavier robinson michael hawkins who else is practicing with the team right now i think the total is up to four total nigel guys smith. practicing they're not going to play in the game but they're practicing with the team nigel smith uh he said he told me last night that he was practicing with the team starting today okay so that's three i think there's a fourth one and i just can't remember was it one of the offensive linemen might have been. I think. I think. Uh, I don't know if this is counting into our numbers, but I think the the kicker Liam Evans also is planning on practicing with the team um, uh, before. So maybe up to five. I, I. I don't. I cannot remember the fourth, but I, I know that you're right. Yeah, we'll get. To, we need to get those names, especially before they head off to San Antonio. The schedule is something like uh, today's the 21st, Thursday. Signing day was yesterday, the 20th. So what they're doing is uh, they're going to fly down to San Antonio on the 24th, start practice. Christmas Day is the 25th. I think they're going to have a light practice on the 25th. And then the 26th, they're going to have uh, a more of a – maybe a, a scheduled practice on the 26th. The game's on the 28th, so that's going to be their Thursday, right, before the Saturday game. It's not on Saturday, of course, but you see what I'm saying. That's how they schedule their games on a, on a weekly basis. You've seen it before. When they played that Friday game, Venables was like today's Sunday, but it's actually Monday, you know what I mean? So – uh, it's confusing when it gets to bowl season. None of us sports writers, and this is a, this is a fact, y'all. Once the bowl season gets here and Christmas happens and they're out of school and we're not going into the office, so to speak, anymore, it's like, what the hell day is it? 
We have, yeah. we have no idea as sports writers what day it is during yeah. bowl season, and that's a fact. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and, and hey, we'll, we'll be there on uh, the 26th for some press conferences, for some stuff like that. So uh, we'll, yep. we'll be getting there a few days ahead of the game to, to cover it. Here's how much life is going to change for Oklahoma joining the SEC. I want to illustrate, use these numbers to illustrate for you guys. This is amazing to me. There are, and then using, the, again, the 24-7 sports rankings, there are three Big 12 teams in the top 40. Three in the top 40. And, and the, Tech is number 22. I was going to say Tech. There's one at like 31 and one at 35. OU is ranked number nine. I'm sorry, number eight nationally, but they're only number five in the SEC. So what does all this mean? Guys, the entire 16-team SEC for 2024, all 16 teams, including Vanderbilt, is ranked in the top 40. There are three Big 12 teams ranked in the top 40 and the entire SEC ranked in the top 40. What we're talking about is recruiting rankings, of course. That's the caliber of players that you're getting in the SEC. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Oklahoma State was like 57 or in the 60s maybe or something like that. That's that's one of the best teams in the in the Big 12 historically. Mm -hmm. And they're they're dozen spots or more behind Vanderbilt. That's how tough life is going to be for Oklahoma in the SEC. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you think about a lot of these guys that OU is is in recruiting was in recruiting battles for maybe some of those recruiting battles that they didn't win, and they'll have to see a lot of those teams next season. Yep. Uh, I mean, you look at a lot of these programs that you know the Georgias, the Alabamas. Obviously, OU won't play Georgia next year. Well, they, they might, but likely won't play Georgia next year. Um, but you know, a team like an Alabama, who's always a perennial top what three recruiting class, top five recruiting class. Uh, that's that'll be on the schedule obviously next year. Missouri, who OU obviously lost out Williams and Winnery to at the be- uh, not the beginning of the cycle, but earlier in the cycle, they'll be on the schedule next year. So OU will see them. Uh, and again, I mean, you mentioned guys like Dominic McKinley. OU's battling a bunch of SEC programs for for him, and even the guys that OU did win out on, um, you know, the Jaden Jacksons, the David Stones, the other teams hot on the pursuit for those guys were SEC programs. So. Um, not only is is life in the conference, you know, playing on the field going to get tougher because, like you said, you're playing a whole host of every one of these teams recruits better than pretty much everyone in the Big 12. But those recruiting battles are going to continue to be hard because you're playing your conference opponents. Those games, those head to head games are going to mean something going forward in specific recruiting battles. Right. I mean, it's it's going to be a lot easier for OU to go to uh, into Missouri and grab a kid out of Kansas City if they go in and they beat Missouri next season, right? But if if the Tigers are able to come in and if the Tigers are able to beat OU next year, then that probably makes it more of an uphill climb for OU to go into Kansas City to go into Missouri and grab some of those players, which we know that's a state rich with talent. Um, and I know that's one very specific example, but just in general, that's how that's how it's going to be. I mean. Oh, we know OU loves to recruit heavily out of Florida, out of some of these other SEC states. Well, now to be able to do that, you've got to go in and you can't, it's not just talk anymore. You have to be able to go in and say, we can beat these teams. We're better than them. And you have to outperform if you want to continue yeah. to win those recruiting battles. It's been a phenomenon, I think. Not, not you know, overbearing or, or even predominant, but I think it's I think it exists. When you ask a recruit, yeah, I looked at Oklahoma. I, oh, absolutely, I looked at Oklahoma. They're a great program, but I wanted to play in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Now, Oklahoma would be like, uh, what are you talking about? We are in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so I'm looking at Oklahoma now for a different reason. Yeah. That's, and, that's a real thing. And, and in almost every recruit that I was able to talk to, I mean, even the 25 guys, but especially the 24s that I was able to talk to since 
uh, you know, I've come onto the team here. Um, I ask all of them, like, does that matter to you? Just playing in the SEC, does that change your decision? And some of them said, yeah, it affected my decision. I wanted to play in the SEC. And some of them said that while it doesn't necessarily have a huge bearing on their decision, it was something that they're very excited for. Um, and, and even, even I know he's not necessarily a signing day guy, but even in the transfer portal, Des Maloney said, this is the best competition. I want to prove that I can lace it up and I can play against the best competition. And I think that, that the, a lot of these recruits have the same mindset. It's that they, they want, they're, not, they're not scared. They're not running from the competition. They want to go prove themselves against that top competition. I think that Brent Venables and this staff, they want guys like that. I mean, every staff does, right? But that's specifically that mentality, that attitude. That's something that Brent Venables and company is looking for, guys who – aren't cocky, but guys who believe in themselves enough to go into the SEC to say, hey, these guys, they might be big and bad, but so are we. And um, now not only do they have the attitudes, but they have the body styles in this recruiting class, kind of some of the, the physicality, the athleticism you need to go match that. Yeah. Um, let's dive into the defense. Um, we, we talked a lot about some of these guys already, but uh, the, the defensive tackles are David Stone and Jaden Jackson, teammates at IMG. Uh, defensive ends are Wyatt Gilmore, Nigel Smith, and Danny Okoye from right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, let's start up front. What are your thoughts on those guys? And, and we'll break out the uh, who's our favorite picks and who's our picks for top uh, top pit performer and stuff like that. But just, uh, you know, we've written about David Stone. We've talked about David Stone. Uh, watching your interview with him from last night when I watched it this morning. The kid is is on cloud nine. He has yeah. long wanted to go to Oklahoma. He has he loves Oklahoma, and now mm -hmm. that he's signed with Oklahoma, he's he's literally watch the video. I'm not kidding. He's all smiles. Yeah, it, it it felt like a almost a feeling of relief from him. Like, all right, this process is over. I'm here. I'm home. That's and then and I don't I don't want to speak for him, but just get being around him. That's kind of what it seemed like. That's kind of the sense. And at the event that we were at last night, um, the the OU Insider Signing Day special at at Sooner Daiquiri, they uh. He was, I mean, he was all smiles there the whole night. He was really happy. And it was being around his family, who, again, being from Oklahoma, I'm sure that he's glad to be back around them, but also his future teammates. And uh, ironically enough, a few of his past teammates, Michael Patterson, McDonald, Jaden Jackson. But, I mean, if you, you go talk to, uh, to, you go watch the interview, I mean, he talked about Nigel Smith and he, he had high praise for, for Nigel Smith. It seems like those guys get along really well. Um, you know, a handful of the other guys that were, that were in attendance. Yeah, I think that, that, um, again, Miami, Alabama, they kind of tried to wheedle their way into David Stone's recruitment there late. Of course, there's always the smoke to Michigan State. But I do think that um, I think that Oklahoma is where he it seems like he where he really, really wanted to be. Um, seems like now that, he, that 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 is where he is. He's really happy. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, it just it was it seemed like a real feeling of relief for him to kind of have this whole process done now to be able to just go say, I'm in Oklahoma sooner. Go get to lace it up, work hard, you know train and get ready for the for the season um but you you asked me what i thought about the defensive line uh this class it just the when you list out those names jackson okoye stone smith and gilmore the first thing that it screams to me is just athletes athleticism i mean that's and that's something that oklahoma they've had good players on the defensive line but they have not had the athletes that this class themselves is bringing in i mean you've seen danny okoye in person you know how much of an athletic freak that guy is um he tore up the uh all-American Bowl in Frisco earlier this week. Uh, he seems like a guy that if he gets the, the technique, if Miguel Chavis is able to hone the technique and the skills, the hand placement, uh, some of the more like, um, you know, again, the more refined uh, pass rushing styles, I think Danny Okoye could be an absolute monster because of the athleticism that he has. Again, he's already like 6'4", 240. So a guy that'll probably be a, I mean, great in the weight room. If you look at him, he's got a great build. 
uh, great athlete. Nigel Smith, the same thing, is a two-sport athlete. Uh, his dad actually was a collegiate basketball player at SMU. His dad's like 6'10". Uh, really, I saw him. He's huge. Uh, and Nigel, Nigel himself is a big guy, too. I mean, you walk or, you, you watch him walking around, and you're like, wow, that's, a, that's an SEC football player. But then you watch him on the field, and he moves. He's very nimble. He moves on his feet really well for a guy who's a 16, 17, 18-year-old that's already 260 pounds at 6'5". Um, I think that he, he's already got, I think, a lot of those, those pass, rush, pass rush techniques. He's, I think his game is already a little more refined. Um, and I think that he's a really powerful guy. And then, of course, I mean, I, Stone, you know, inside, outside, crazy athlete can kind of wreck, wreck guys from either, either game plan, you know, quick enough, athletic enough to kind of get by some with the power still to get by some of those interior offensive linemen. But again, powerful enough that tackles, it's just probably lights out at, uh, if he's, if he's putting his hands into a tackle's chest out there on the edge. Um, and then Gilmore, Gilmore and Jaden Jackson are the guys who I think are underrated out of that group. Um, Wyatt Gilmore obviously played both ways at his high school in Minnesota. You mentioned a number one player in the state of Minnesota. Uh, he, um, he, I think he ran like a four, seven forty. So not, not blazing fast, but fast enough for a defensive lineman. You know, he can get the job done. He's a big sturdy guy. His build kind of reminds me of, of Ethan Downs actually. Uh, I'm not, I'm not player comping him to Ethan Downs, but just the, the build, the, the, his physique, it looks a lot like Ethan Downs coming out of high school. Um, and then, and then of course, Jaden Jackson, um, We'll, we'll touch a little bit more on him later when we get to some of our superlatives in the class, but he's a guy that I, I think that uh, I think he is a really, really good interior defensive lineman. He looks the part. He's not not super tall, so he plays with good leverage, but he's really strong. He's got carries his weight really well. Uh, he's a guy that I think I think OU fans are really, really going to like Jaden Jackson. J- David Stone, arguably one of the best players in America, and his teammate Jaden Jackson who played next to him is the team's IMG Academy's national team's defensive player of the year. Yep. Right next to him. So that's how good Jaden Jackson is. I mean, let's get serious here. Wow. One linebacker, James Nesta, who's also a hellacious baseball player. Uh, same with uh, Taylor Tatum. Um, yeah. Some uh, some baseball talent. And Brent Venables yesterday gave it up to uh, Skip Johnson and the baseball crew for being able to recruit these guys. James Nesta, yeah. uh, a hard-throwing right-handed pitcher um, as a baseball player. He's going to do both. He's going to play both sports at what is becoming two-sport U. But just in terms of a linebacker, he's only got one linebacker. Brent Venable's only got signed one linebacker, technically. But he talked about him yesterday for like a minute and a half straight. Nothing but nest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I think what Brent Venable said is, I mean, when you watch his tape, that's the first thing you come away from. You're so, wow, this guy will hit you. I mean, he's he's only about 205 pounds right now, so he'll, he'll definitely add weight. But he flies around the field, and he's not afraid to, to you know, put a guy in the dirt. Um, you know, you, you think about the typical Brent Venables linebackers, right? The guys who are really fast. They play with their hair on fire. They run sideline to sideline. Um, I mean, again, I, I'm not trying to – this is not a player comparison at all. But a guy like Danny Stutzman, he's really fast, even at 240 pounds. He plays with a lot of speed. He can, he can move around the field really well. And, and, again, that's something that I feel like a Brent Venables linebacker, going back to Clemson, to his first stint at OU, that's something that a lot of those guys could do. They could run sideline to sideline. I mean, think about a Kip Lewis even. Guy who's not as heavy, but really plays with a lot of speed, a lot of aggression. He can get around the field, and that's where Jim's Nesta looks like right now. He's just taller, six four. Uh, you probably put even more weight on his frame than a guy like a Kip Lewis. Um, but he he has that plays with his hair on fire, loves to hit people, will sprint around the field. And if you watch his high school tape, he played on and off ball linebacker actually. I think that in college he's going to move to more of the off ball role. I think that's pretty self explanatory, kind of playing it more in the middle. But he does have the versatility where. Um, he again, he played on and off the ball 
um, in high school. I think that uh, I think he is the type of player that Brent Venables is. It's like the um, it's like Brent Brent's guilty pleasure. He always was going to want to go back and watch James Nesta because he sees a lot of the guys. I mean, being a linebackers guy, he sees the guys that he likes. He's like, all right, yeah, that's the guy. He's a football player. He'll run downfield. He'll hit you. What did Brent say? He, he'll whip you like a rattlesnake, something like that. So like, yeah. Like- as well, Canick when he when he fell in love with Canick as a recruit a long time ago. That's one exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yes. Um, let's talk DBs. We can't dive into each guy because Cox Cable would probably cut off my uh, my internet service if I tried to upload a video that big. There's seven DBs here: uh, Reggie Powers, Michael Patterson, McDonald, Devon Jordan, um, Eli Bowen, Jeremiah Newcomb, Jaden Hardy, and Michael Boganowski. I'll take two guys here real quick. Jeremiah Newcomb was the first commit in this class. And you never heard another word from him the whole time. He didn't flirt with other schools. Uh, he's Bobby Newcomb's son, the former uh, player at Nebraska, right? Um, during during Nebraska's heyday. So this is a kid that uh, knows a lot about football. His, coaches, his dad is a coach now. So uh, obviously he knows a, a, a crap ton about the game, the sport of football itself, and that's one of the things that uh, Brent Venables loves about him. Uh, but the fact that he was the first commit way back in, I want to say late March, early April, um, he committed, and then radio silence from him, and he's like, nope, I'm committed, I'm committed. I'm co-. He one of the first guys to sign yesterday too. And then Boganowski out of Kansas, Michael Boganowski out of Junction City. <sighs> Where do you start with him? He's going to be a safety, but if you put on 15 pounds, he could absolutely play the physical side, the physical part of the cheetah linebacker. You put on 20 pounds, and all of a sudden you got a, a pass rusher, an edge rusher there. Boganowski loves contact, loves to hit, loves to play football. I think uh, he's a guy that has a bright future at Oklahoma. I think so, too. I think that Boganowski was, even though, uh, again, depending on what service you look at, he was a low four-star, high three-star recruit. He, he did have some good offers. Florida State in there. We've seen what Florida State's been able to do with some pass rushers over the past few years. Yeah. Uh, Jared Verse will probably be a top 15 pick this year. Uh, they put some other pass rushers in the NFL. So, I mean, even being able to get um, Boganowski over a school like Florida State that's produced some good defensive players, that's a good get for OU. I think that despite the recruiting rankings, he was a real priority for Brent Venables and company. Uh, he was in Norman this summer. I think that he was someone that they were hot on the trail for after that. And if you watch his high school tape, he kind of plays this weird position that's, I don't want to call it a, 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 a cheetah, but it's kind of a, a weird hybrid between safety and linebacker where he just plays like smack dab in the middle of the field and just, they're like, all right, just go go cover, hit, whatever. Just go go make the play for us, basically. Uh, Junction City's a real small school, real small town. So he'd kind of play there in the middle, go sideline to sideline, break up passes. You mentioned it, um, loves contact, very physical. He's a good athlete. Um Back there, I think that he's a guy who, uh, like you said, starts at safety. Uh, not starting like on the field. I mean, like that's where his first. That's where you try him out first. I mean, um, you know, try him out first at safety, and, and I, I would try him out at the cheetah position simultaneously because he does have in high school that versatility of playing linebacker and safety, kind of a mold. I mean, we talked about some to some of the other guys this season who played cheetah, and they talked about in their past that they've played multiple positions, right? I mean, think about Desan McCullough, a guy who's played all over the field in his past. Uh, so Boganowski kind of fits that um, that mold where he's played multiple multiple positions. He's got the experience there. Cheetah might be might be perfect for him. Um, Jared Verse, real quick, I'll throw this out there. Uh, Jared Verse, uh, part of the 2019 class, 
played basketball, ran track in Ohio. Uh, I, we all know him as a first-round pick. We all know him as Jared Verse defensive end because we saw him play last year in the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, he went to Albany. He was a, uh, a basically a, like a two-star recruit. Went to Albany. Uh, ran, like I said, ran track, ran basketball. So Boganowski, when you when you think, no, he's a safety. No, dude is good enough to play defensive end. He could absolutely transition in his career to be a mm. defensive end. Just saying. He, he's a great athlete. He could play all – again, like Desan McCullough, he's not as big, but he's a guy who could play all over the field. He's got he's got the history of it, and he's got the athleticism for it. Um, real, real quickly, before we move on from from the defensive backs, I, I, I think Reggie Powers is a guy that OU fans should be really excited about. He uh, he plays really well in the box. He's a guy who will come downfield, and he will lay the wood on, um, on some uh, ball carriers, whether it's a receiver, whether it's a running back. He's bigger. Uh, that's a guy that I think that Brent Venables and company, when they when they saw him come available, I think that, that was a guy that they really jumped on, they really wanted. And to get him over Ohio State, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, five preferred walk-ons. We've mentioned a couple of these guys. Like I said, they do not feel like walk-ons. You've got Andy Bass, who played quarterback in high school and was an amazing quarterback, uh, threw for over 3,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. And he told me, I'm with DeMarco Murray. I'm going to be playing running back at first for Oklahoma. So he's a running back. Uh, again, preferred walk-on, uh, Bergen-Kaiser, defensive end, Ace Hodges, defensive tackle, Liam Evans is a place kicker. All those guys are – all four of those guys are local. They're in the Oklahoma City area. And yep. then uh, Jacob Jordan, wide receiver out of the Dallas area, right? Yep, South Lake Carroll. Yeah, South Lake Carroll, uh, a phenomenally uh, productive wide receiver. Yes. For the Dragons. Yep. Um, Dragons. Yes, yeah, no, that's right, South Lake Carroll Dragons. Yeah. Um, those, those are guys that are – they have big dreams of being able to come in and, and get that scholarship pretty quickly. And, and I think that, you know, you look at what OU's done with their walk-ons. I mean, Gavin Freeman and Drake Stoops are the guys that stand out. But I, I think even going back to even further, there are some offensive linemen in there, guys guys really all around the field who OU's done a good job of, of being able to – of elevating their walk-ons to, um, you know, to earn them some snaps or to give them some snaps when those guys earn it. Um, so it's not it's not like you're coming to OU as a walk on and you never have a, ch- a chance to even see the field. I think that if those guys prove that they're that they are good enough to get on the field, I think that OU will have no problem. Brent Venables and the staff will have no problem giving them the reps that they have earned. Um, so we we touched on Bass a little bit. I think he's a phenomenal player. That I think I think if he hadn't gotten hurt, I think he would absolutely be pushing to get some good reps as a true freshman. You mentioned yeah surgery. Uh, he he hopes to be back by September. He might still. Um, get get some some reps this year. We'll see. Um, but again, great athlete, super versatile. Can kind of do everything on offense. Really, probably would be a good returner. Didn't return much in high school because he was such a valuable quarterback. But I imagine that with the strength, the speed, the vision, tackle breaking ability, that he he uh, would be just fine back there, catching kicks, punts, whatever it is. Um, Kaiser to, somebody, by the way. Kaiser, the way he hits quarterbacks, he's going to wreck somebody. I was I was about to move on to him. This is a guy who. As six foot four, two hundred and thirty thirty pound edge rushers who are as athletic as Bergen Kaiser is, you don't you don't usually get those guys as walk ons. Um, so to be able to pull him into this class, that's huge for OU. If you wa- look at Bergen Kaiser in person, he's a well built guy, uh, like a good frame already. Uh, I think he throws shot put and discus in track and field, so he's got long arms. Um, he's a, again multi sport athlete. I think he was. I think he was a wrestler too. That I might not be. I think he was a wrestler. I'm not as as sure about that, but I know he was a decorated shot and disc thrower in track and field. So, a guy who's a good athlete, uh, good weight weight room numbers. If you uh, if you go to his huddle and kind of find some of those, but again, like you said, just violent, 
violent, violent player. I mean, in a good way. Everything you'd want out of an SEC uh, defensive lineman. He's great with his hands. I mean, he's so quick that once he once he steps off the ball, he's really good at you know throwing that offensive lineman out of the way, knocking their hands away. Um, if you're going to put a tight end on him trying to block him, good luck. That's not going to work. He will throw that guy to the ground, and he'll kill your running back or your quarterback. Um, and and he, he talked about it. He's played quarterback, tight end, punter, defensive line. I mean, he's done it all for Edmund Santa Fe. Good athlete. And he said yesterday at his signing that he's willing to do whatever he can to help the team win, that the team's getting a Swiss Army knife. I, ex- I honestly expect from, from talking to some people, I think that he's a guy who – OU expects to contribute, maybe not next year, but at some point in his career, I think that OU expects him to be a guy that gets onto the field and plays plays good snaps for them. I mean, um, if you look at his high school tape, he chose OU over scholarship offers from North Texas, from Oklahoma State, from some other schools. So it's not like he had no no options, and he chose to come to OU. I think that he probably would not have done that if, if OU didn't um, at least say, hey, you will have a real chance uh, to, to get on the field here. Uh, and Ace, Ace Hodges, a guy who... Um, He's really strong. He's a wrestler. He plays with great leverage. You can kind of see that. Um, he seems like someone who's really locked in. He actually went to the state championship to watch Andy Bass um, play. I think that even if he doesn't get onto the field at OU, he's going to be a guy who works really hard, who pushes his teammates in practice to get better. Uh, a, good, a good scout team guy, if nothing else. Um, but again, he's already really well built. So maybe maybe later down the line, he can get some snaps in there as a defensive lineman. Uh, and Jacob Jordan, he, he honestly has some of the most uh, entertaining highlights out of anyone walk-on or scholarship player in the class. If you go watch those, it's a great route runner. He's breaking defensive backs off uh, down the field. Uh, really, really good footwork. I saw him firsthand at the Brent Venables camp this summer. Uh, he's, he's really, he's got good speed. Uh, obviously not like uh, Zion Raggins speed, but speed that will serve him well in the slot. He's fast enough. Um, again, great route runner, great hands. Uh, and if, if you watch this film, he He's really good at stepping on those defensive backs' toes, breaking his route off, you know, making separation. Uh, he, I think as a junior, had like 1,300 yards uh, in 6A Texas football. You mentioned it. South Lake Carroll is a great program. He was super productive there. Played with a bunch of other D1 guys and still had that production. He had offers from Texas Tech. I think he also had an offer from North Texas, Western Kentucky, some other Division One programs. And, again, chose to walk on at OU. I think that he's a guy um, as a slot receiver who has a chance to be of that um, Drake Stoops mold where later in his career he could uh, develop into a guy who earns uh, earns some good good snaps on the field. Maybe not as uh, 880 yards and 10 touchdowns like Drake Stoops, but a guy who at least I think uh, later in his career has the potential to, to earn, earn some snaps, see some time in the slot. Bergen Kaiser reminds me, uh, I just saw, I just watched a couple days ago the, uh, the documentary from SEC Storied on Brandon Burlesworth. So not the movie about Bur- mm-hmm. Worth the fiction fictional account, but uh, not, it was the documentary, and I I was on the Arkansas beat ninety seven and ninety eight, so I saw him go from uh, he had just gotten his scholarship, he was all SEC, and then he was all American, and then he was a third round draft pick, and you're like, you you see it every year on some team everywhere around the country, Missouri this year, you're you're looking at uh, you're looking at uh, the uh, some defensive lineman or some. Yeah receiver or some running back or something and you think at Missouri this year exactly uh you're thinking how's he a walk-on mm-hmm. you know you look back three years earlier and they're like coming out of high school and they didn't get a scholarship but they become this amazing player in college I see that kind of future for Bergen Kaiser we've spent yeah. way too much time on the walk-ons we need to move on and we need to talk about uh, the one guy on offense and the one guy on defense who are not named David Stone who we think will make an immediate 
um, or a lasting impact, maybe as a true freshman, but certainly in, later in their careers. Who uh, who do you got in this class? On, on offense, I, I have to go with Taylor Tatum. Now, uh, again, I think part of that factors in because of, you know, the, their, this year, oh, you didn't re- find a – I mean, again, Gavin Sawchuk had a good year, but oh, you didn't find a true – answer as like a, this is a guy who's a number one who's going to take us to the next level in the SEC. Um, and so I think that not having one of those guys yet, I mean, maybe Gavin Sawchuk develops into that. Maybe Samuel Franklin becomes that. But not having one of those guys right now, I think, gives Taylor Tatum the opening he needs to put his foot in the door to show the skill set that he has to get him on the field early. Uh, he's great. I mean, something that we didn't, I, I, I don't know if Samuel Franklin will do this, but we didn't see at all really from Gavin Sawchuk was Taylor Tatum can line up in the slot and beat defensive backs as a slot receiver. If you watch his high school highlights, he does it. Playing wide receiver, or not wide receiver, playing outfield in baseball really helps him be able to track balls down well. I think that that versatility, especially in the modern era of football, is and heading into the SEC is something you need. You know, if uh, some running backs who can catch out in the slot. I mean, the, if you look at a lot of the best running backs in you know in college in the NFL, it's guys who are versatile who can do both. I think Taylor Tatum can do both. I haven't even talked about how good his vision is, his power, his speed as a runner. Uh, you know, those things all blend really well together to make him a good tackle breaker uh, once he's in the open field. Probably not going to catch him, especially high school kids. Uh, and I think that that all those skill sets together combined with, um, you know, kind of the opening at the running back position will make him be the, you know, more so than any other offensive player as a true freshman, maybe throughout his career, the guy who gets on the field uh, pretty quick. And then on defense. Uh, I, I mentioned him earlier. I, I think Nigel Smith is going to be a real difference maker, and I think that he could even earn snaps as a true freshman. Um, you know, that edge room, OU loves to rotate guys in and out of there. They're, they don't want, uh, you know, the same guys playing 100, and sna- 100 snaps a game, getting super fatigued, right? Um, and so, you know, a guy who is going to – again, we mentioned he's already practicing with the team, so he's got that semester – um, and the summer, that off season, to uh, to kind of get ready to get his body even more ready. But I mentioned it; he's already 260 pounds. He's a guy who doesn't need like to add a bunch of weight. He just kind of probably needs to, um, you know, uh, I don't know the right word, but just you know, get into a college weight program, kind of like um, you know the the college system. I'm sure there'll they'll, they'll be some things that they like to uh, redistribute. I guess is the word I was looking for. Some of the weight, stuff like that. But again, a guy who already is a good good frame. Uh, I think that that the the athleticism. He's a Hard worker, that's evident. Those things, I think, will lend itself to him. Getting some snaps on the field as a true freshman, I think that as his career goes on, he could be a real special defensive lineman. Yeah, I agree with you on both those guys. I think Tatum's in for a possible big freshman season, and I I think my favorite, just in terms of uh, upside, again, guys not named David Stone, I have liked everything about Nigel Smith's game, but I'm going to take two other other guys, um, one on offense, wide receiver Zion Reagans. He, uh, he had 1,000 yards receiving as a sophomore, and then, I mean, he was a productive as a freshman in high school, had 1,000 yards as a sophomore, and then you saw his role expand. He started doing other things, running the football, mm-hmm. other, other stuff there on the football kick field. Kick returner, too. Kick returner, absolutely. So um, he's got elite speed. Mm-hmm. Um, Truly. 3-7 in the 100. He ran a 4-3-2 oh, – sorry, 4-2-3 in the 40. Uh, get the football in his hands. Um you know, just maybe not a jet sweep, right? <laughs> but, uh, one way or another, get the football in his hands and let him uh, let him cook. Um, right. I think he's going to have a – he's going to impact some games. I don't know. The, the wide receiver core is pretty stocked right now, pretty well stocked, and it's going to be hard to crack that for a freshman. But if you've got those kind of skills, it reminds me of Brennan Thompson. 
Yeah. And he catch like 350-yard passes this year. I see Reagans having that kind of uh, impact this year. And then on defense, you might think this one's a little bit of a reach, but he comes from a football background. He's committed. Again, I've said it before. He's first to commit, and he's been radio silent ever since. He's serious about his craft is what that tells me. He's got a football mind. Uh, it's uh, it's Newcomb, Jeremiah Newcomb. I love that one. Love that yeah, pick. That's a great pick. He just reminds me, watching what he does on, on film and highlights, he just reminds me a little bit of uh, Billy Bowman. Mm. Came in as a freshman and was like, hey, this kid's really good. Hey, like, <laughs> nothing he does is bad. I remember there were some – he missed a bunch of tackles a, a sophomore year maybe when he had a hurt shoulder or something like that, and you're like, what's wrong with him? Well, he's hurt. When he's not hurt – He's solid as a rock, and I see that kind of future for Newcomb. Yeah, and, and again, you look at where OU's cornerback room is right now, I think that that will lend itself to him you know, getting some time on the field as a true freshman. I mean, we saw Jacoby Johnson, Makari Vickers, and Josiah Wagner, three true freshman corners, get, I mean, significant snaps on the field this season, decent decent playing time. I mean, enough, enough for us to recount it all, right? They played multiple games, so I think that – that uh, OU is not afraid to play those freshmen. It's not like the cornerback room is the the top of the line on their defense. So I think that that, again, will lend itself to him being able to to come in, prove his spot, get some snaps, get some time out there on the field. So who's your pick for someone who's going to fly under the radar in this class? Someone that didn't get a lot of publicity. Uh, Newcomb might be a good pick, but uh, didn't get a lot of publicity, didn't get a lot of stories, didn't create a lot of drama, but uh, guys that you think are going to have a pretty good career at OU. Mm, This one's easy to me. I already know. Jaden Jackson. Watching his film, I'm a huge, huge fan of Jaden Jackson. I mean, he gets off of offensive linemen. He's got a great first step for a guy who's as big as he is. I mentioned that he plays. He's not the tallest guy, so he plays with great leverage, great pad level. But he, he again, he carries his weight really well. Being a guy who's already 300 pounds, he's not overweight. He doesn't have a huge gut. Uh, not that that's an issue if you do, but uh, he. I mean, you look at him. He's he's a slim 300 pounds for a guy who's six two, um, and he just gets after it. I mean, he's got a great motor. His, his hands, uh, he just gets guys off. I mean, he throws offensive linemen around, swats hands away. If you go watch his high school film, I mean, he's he's taking that first step. He's moving the offensive linemen out the way, and he's in the backfield like every play. Uh, I think he's a really, really uh, impressive defensive lineman. I think that um, he, he, in my opinion, is probably the most underrated player in this whole class. Because, um, I mean, again, depending on what services you look at, four-star recruit, I think some people even have him as a three-star. I think, I think he's phenomenal. I think that... Um, the interior defensive linemen, specifically like those nose guard defensive tackles, they don't necessarily uh, always accumulate the huge stats, huge highlight plays. You know, a lot of what they do goes unnoticed. They're doing the dirty work, stuff like that. But I think that uh, just from from what I've seen of him, I think that he uh, he's a phenomenal player. I think that he's going to be really good for OU. My under-the-radar guy is, uh, I hope I didn't oversell him, but uh, there's no pressure, right, to do what I, what I talked about earlier. But I think it's going to be Boganowski. Uh, three-star recruit by rivals, uh, no, four-star rivals and three-star by everybody else. And, you know, you come out of Kansas and there's not a lot of hype and there's not a lot of expectations on you. Yeah. His dad was a Division One football player in college as well. I think he played at uh, New Mexico State. State. Yeah, yeah. So um, he comes from a football background as well. He came up in the sport. He knows a lot about it. He's got a very level head. Um, and then he'll just strike the hell out of you. Yeah. Uh, he's got the ability to play safety, linebacker, or defensive end, depending on how big his, how much weight they put on his frame. So that's uh, that's my guys there. Um, he, he's a guy. Who's your favorite? Who's your like? Who? Which one are you looking forward to interviewing, 
or maybe bumping into down at the, uh, uh, you know, bison witches or something like that? Oh, man. Well, uh, that's tough. I think that um, I, one guy I'd have to go with, and we kind of touched on it, is Andy Bass. He's a guy who's always been, uh, it's been super fun to talk to. He, he's a great interview, give, gives some great interviews. And, and watching him on the field, I mean, this year, he was, he was one of the best players I saw in person. Uh, he, he was incredible, really fun player to watch. If, if, if you want, if you want to, if you're missing football right now, the, the bowl season is not enough for you. Uh, go watch Andy Bass's huddle tape, go watch his highlights on all Sooners. Uh, it's, it's impressive stuff. I mean, he does, I saw him multiple times this year. Every time I saw him, he was just unstoppable. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, you talk to him, I've talked to him multiple times. He's a great interview. Nice kid. I think that, uh, I think, I think, uh, he's, I'm looking forward to that, but one thing I do want to point out is that all these guys, everyone that I've had the chance to talk to, they're all, I mean, they're all great, great young, young men, good kids. I mean, that's, that's Brent Venables. I feel like that's something that he really wants to hang his hat on is recruiting uh, good, good people that fit the, the culture of the program. And I think that a lot of these guys, when I talked to them, I said, Hey, what, what about OU? What do you like? And of course, you know, they mentioned the coaching staff, the, you know, the, the history, all sorts of things like that. But I think one thing that every player told me, and that's, you know, players from all different backgrounds. That's Brendan Zerberg. That's Nigel Smith. That's Jaden Jackson. I mean, all these different kids. Something they all told me was that they love the soul mission. Um, and so I think that for that to have such a meaning to you, that that obviously shows uh, that your head's in the right place um, because that's that's um, career development. It's off-field development, personality development. So so for that to be something that's so important to these guys, I think it shows that they all fit with Brent Venable's system. They're all good, good kids, good young men, guys that you'd want to root for if you're a fan. They're putting an emphasis and a priority on character and yes. integrity and, uh, and, and whether that wins football games for you or not. Right. We'll see, but they're getting the kind of uh, people in the program that they can build a foundation with. So uh, my favorite guy, I hope this doesn't mean like, uh, like I'm like tipping my hand, like I'm being non, uh, you know, not an objective observer media guy. Right. But oh. every time I've been around him, every time I've been around him, I have come away feeling better for it. Uh, it's Danny Okoye. Um, hell of a player. Watch mm -hmm. him at defensive end, right? And he just wrecks people. They put him at linebacker a couple times, and he goes in there. He, you know, he blitzes from the, the center middle linebacker spot. Uh, he played offense. He played wide receiver. Wide receiver. And he averaged the game that I saw him, he averaged like 22 yards a catch. <laughs> Uh, so he could do, he could do something like that. He could be a short yardage type, fun package type guy. Oh. The two punts that he, he's the punter for his homeschool team. And he averaged 50 yards a punt. The two <laughs> punts that he kicked and both of them hit inside the five yard line and checked up. He might be the best punter on the Oklahoma football team. But what I want you guys to do is go to all Sooners, click on the, uh, multimedia tab, click on the football tab, click on the recruiting tab, whatever it is. Look for my interview, my one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. with Danny Okoye, and you will understand why he's my favorite. The most yeah. thoughtful, insightful, patient answers. Um, you know, you ask him a question, and he'll give you like a 90-second answer, a two-minute answer, because that's he's got a lot on his mind, and he's a very insightful player. He's very thoughtful about what he says and what he does. And, I just can't wait to, I told him, I said, man, you're, you're really good at this and you probably have a future in broadcasting and we'll see, but yeah, I, uh, he's, he's my favorite guy. Another guy I want to highlight in that is an, a local guy, Michael Patterson McDonald. Every time I've talked to him, he's been a great interview. 
He's a great leader. He's a guy that I think that like the leadership, that maturity aspect is great for him. And I actually, last night I was able to speak to his, I believe his aunt. Uh, and she, she actually told me a story about a young man that, that he'd never, he met for like, he met once. And his, after his first time meeting him, this young man had gone through some, some tough times and things like that. And Michael Patterson McDonald, he reached out and he said, I want to be the, that kid's mentor. And, and that was months ago. And he still cool. is in his life. That, that kid was at Michael signing yesterday. I saw Michael taking pictures with him. Uh, and so, so, you know, just that level of character. He, no one asked him to. It was something that he wanted to do himself. Yeah. Uh, he didn't even, Michael didn't even tell me that story. I wouldn't have, I would have, he, ne- he never, no, I would have never known that if one of his family members didn't come up uh, and tell me that. So I think that that just goes, illustrates the type of stand up guy, the character that he has. Um, so I wanted to highlight that too. I think that he's a guy. Um, I think that I'm looking forward to interviewing him, seeing him in the Crimson and Cream too. This segment of the All Sinners podcast was presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Uh, just go to infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn how you can get debt-free and begin real retirement planning right now. Don't wait to do this because I'm telling you, whether it's banking, uh, private banking, retirement, uh, family asset protection, real estate planning, um, living trust, they do it all. Corey and his team are going to take a look at your portfolio. They're going to get you on the way to taking control of your financial future. Call 512-710-0130 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just head over to that website, infiniteassetadvisors.com. Coming up next, Ryan's going to jump on. We're going to talk to Alamo Bowl. Yes, they're playing a game. Uh, Brent Venables um, press conference yesterday. He was there with me for that. We're going to talk some portal news and, of course, basketball. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Right, final segment of the All Sooners podcast, which I remind you the spot every week. If you like the podcast, go ahead and drop us a rating. Five stars if you got them. We'll take them. Uh, like us and share us on social media. That's a big help if you could do that. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, rate, all that good stuff. Leave us a comment. We'll comment at you back if we like your comment or if we hate your comment. Right? Uh, that was a face I made for the YouTube audience. Uh, so Ryan has joined us for segment three. Usually Ryan goes segment one and two, but uh, it's signing day. We Ryan, I turned Randall loose on the uh, 2024, or should I say the 24K signing class, and uh, he was like a, a wild animal that had been released from his cage, man. He was all over the place, and he was chewing holes in everything. Well, it makes sense because uh, he was the he was the one man back yesterday making sure every he was the one that was really on Taylor Tatum watch while we were in the press conference with Brett Venables making sure you got all that done. So, uh, but I, I'm just I've never heard that spiel before as being part of the third uh, you know the the third segment of the All Sooners Pod and then we were following in the footsteps of some great men. I we we were in, inverted. 
Vernon this week. <laughs> Fun stuff. Uh, you talked about Brent Venables. You sat in the front row. I sat in the back row with my camera, right, shooting the video. Uh, did you notice an electricity to Brent yesterday at his press conference? I mean, he was only there for a little over 30 minutes, but uh, I thought I detected, like, kid at Christmas kind of thing. Well, I, first off, we didn't get the Christmas suit like we did last year. It was not right. they, they he was not feeling drippy uh, per <laughs> those are Brent Venables exact words. It's feeling drippy in here. Uh, but no, I, here's how you know. Um, and this is not a knock. This is it just it is what it is. It's something I think that we've observed uh, over the time that, that Brent Venables has been the head coach of Oklahoma. In spring practice, when he's selling and it's in development mode and he's selling the program, the answers are very long. They're not media discipline. Again, not a knock. Just it is what it is. It's long, winding roads to get to where you want to go. And that's how you know he's really excited about whatever he's talking about. Um, yesterday, we had long, winding. He was talking about everybody in the opening statement. He was happy to – yeah, 17 minute opening statement. It hit the over for every single reporter who was uh, who was prognosticating. Uh, I took I believe, 11. I said it would be 11 minutes. What was your number? Uh, my number was maybe the worst number because I thought it'd be like a five and a half of like uh, <laughs> by this point he'd do like the excited. Thanks for the staff. I'm sure you're gonna ask me about all these guys. Let's just go. And yeah. I, I thought that you might get that, and instead he went the opposite. He just did the the state of the state. Uh, all of that stuff um, from the top. But I, I thought he was juiced. He, he said, um, look, no coach has ever stood at the podium and been like, I hate this signing class. It's We didn't get what we wanted. But Brett Venables usually is – he likes to level and be like, I'm not, I wouldn't tell you guys these things if I didn't believe it. I just like wouldn't say it. And he said this is our best signing class, he thought, in the three classes. Now one of them's the transition class, that first class. I don't think – Anyone's really counting that. So last year and this year, last year's class, a top five class. This year's class, Britt Venables said, though it wasn't ranked in the top five, in his eyes, a better class. I think you can see why. Tons of depth along the defensive line that I'm sure Randall talked about. Secondary as well. I, I also love what Oakland did at linebacker with Nesta and Boganowski, guys that can really just be anything. We might classify them as a linebacker now, and they may not end their career as a linebacker, but when you've had – Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, Jaron Kanick, those guys all back. Then you stack Lewis Carter, Samuel Masigo, Phil Pachati. Like Oklahoma's set at linebacker, and now those guys can kind of just be whatever their strengths are. They don't need to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. Jerry Smith, Britt Venables, Chad Roof, all those guys just be like, do we need Michael Boganowski to be more of a hybrid safety? Well, we'll just develop him as that, stuff like that. And so I think seeing that depth across the board is why Brent Venables is so excited. They reloaded the wide receiver room, got a couple of quarterbacks that can come in and help give them depth. And and I think he was like legitimately juiced about it. He likes days like this where it's really a, a day that he gets to sell the program and get to talk about the developmental side of things and and he'll be the first to tell you, like, it's a results business, wins, losses, all that matters a great deal. But uh, I think Brent Vendels would say only look at the wins or the losses as a shallow way to look at his job and what he does. And signing day is one of those days that he gets to do the 10,000-foot view, which I think he really enjoys. He did uh, remind me that, um, <laughs> among other things, that uh, I can't spend all this time talking about one uh, one answer or taking your question 
taking your repeat questions. He basically said, I got it. We got a few minutes and I got to get through these. I got a lot of answers to get to. So you guys all got questions. I thought that was interesting. He, uh, he sped things along in his own Brent Venables way. And uh, looking at the SEC, looking at the future, he said, you, you, you're going to win some, we're going to win some, and we're going to lose some. And then he immediately re- reminded everybody, you got to win more than you lose. And that popped into my head. I told Randall this, that eight and four prediction I had when the schedule got released. Schedule got released one week ago today, by the way. We'll get into that a little bit down the line, but I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. He said, you get, we're going to win some, we're going to lose some. We got to win more than we lose. <laughs> That's life in the SEC, man, and that's uh, that's why he's so happy with this class because it looks like an SEC class. Yeah, I, it looks like an SEC class everywhere except one spot, which I, I don't think that this is an SEC, a top-end SEC offensive line class. I think Eddie Pierre-Louis is a dude. I think Bill Beanbow missed on a lot of swings that he took. Um 2025 is shaping up to have a regional advantage for Oklahoma. Some of the, the, the formerly blue chips now we're in five star plus land, all that stuff are in the state of Texas, stuff like that. Um, Oklahoma got bodies. I don't Bill Beanbow's had a good track record of working with guys that aren't highly touted, but just on paper, this is not the offensive tackle class Oklahoma needs. If they want to reload, especially considering they're pillaging the portal right now, looking for offensive line depth. But I, I think the defense is, Absolutely. This is what it looks like in the SEC. Now, there's a difference between Oklahoma has the number nine class in the country per on three. That's great. That's fifth or sixth in the SEC. There's a difference between Alabama and Georgia's class and everybody else in the SEC. That's a mountain Oklahoma's got to climb. But this defensive class is a defensive class that anyone in the SEC, save Alabama or Georgia, would be over the moon with. And it's certainly not one Oklahoma landed three years ago. Yeah, I think uh, Autry's going to probably fit into that category as well. I know he was a not the, the big five-star recruit that everybody wanted, but he was a guy that got all the uh, uh, SEC offers. He's from SEC country, got all the SEC offers, including Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Florida, all those. So uh, actually Florida State. But, um, yeah, that's there. I do think there's quality. I think there's there's quantity in the offensive line group, and I think there is quality hidden in there as well. But those guys are going to have to grow, and they're going to have to play. They're going to have to play at that level. Um, do you have? Let's talk about the class real quick. Who who are your picks? Who would be your picks for one guy on on offense and one guy on defense? Who you think will make a make an impact either this year or have a lasting impact in his career? Yeah, I, I kind of look at it through the phase of you know or the lens of everyone wants the early contributors. So what would that look like? I think one guy, like there's two spots offensively that are just prime for someone to walk in as a true freshman, I, I think, and probably be able to, to crack the rotation. One of those is is at running back with Taylor Tatum, but you got Gavin Sawchuk who really came on strong. Javante Barnes, maybe if he can reset and have a, a normal year, what we saw his true freshman year, uh, all that stuff. But you look at tight end, why, who is standing in the way of Devon Mitchell coming in and being the dude from day one for Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. He, he physically, like when you just see him, he looks the part. And, and I know I've said a couple of times on this podcast, radio, all that stuff, that I, I don't think you want to only rely on Devon Mitchell to be the only option at tight end. As a true freshman in the SEC, 
But I by no means like if Devon Mitchell's not playing snaps for Oklahoma, he's someone that could come in and I think he'll I think he could help Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl this, you know, a, a week from today. So that would yep. be the guy that I'm looking at offensively is, is Mitchell to come in and be that kind of dude. Uh, just get him some veteran help so he doesn't have to be the only guy next year and then in beyond. And then defensively, you look at uh, – I know I want to look directly at David Stone. He's your five-star, top-ten-style recruit defensive tackle. Um, might be a little easy picking. So another name I'm looking at is uh, – I, I just – I don't know if enough people are as excited about Danny Okoye as I'm excited about Danny Okoye and like what he he looks like a guy that I'm just you talk about the uh, the PJ snaps that that Oklahoma got this year all that stuff you're losing Rondell Bothroyd who has no eligibility left uh, everybody else coming back it feels like we're still waiting on an official announcement for Trace Ford either way I haven't heard anything but he, Downs is coming back feels like uh, that would be a spot where R. Mason Thomas going to get a ton more snaps, P.J. going to get a ton more snaps, but why can't Danny Okoye come in? He, he's a freak. Is uh, Elzinga out of uh, eligibility this year? Uh, I haven't double-checked. I'm going to be totally – he's not on the list of players that physically can't return. I remember okay. – I don't remember his name being there. Um, yeah. I can't imagine why I just why he wonder if uh, Danny Okoye – I saw him punt in uh, <laughs> against uh, – against, uh, gosh, who was it? team up here in the city somewhere uh and he averaged 50 yards a punt dude could come in and be a punter right can he now. kick I'm serious he can he kick, kick the crap goals? out of the ball anyway um so who's your guy uh pick one guy in this class who kind of flew under the radar maybe a bunch maybe didn't get a bunch of uh press didn't get a bunch of hype um, maybe it was a late addition. I don't know, but uh, you think he's going to be a solid player at OU? Yeah, it's a guy I've already mentioned once. Uh, I really like Eddie Pierre-Louis. I just think that because it was so close to signing day um, that maybe, I don't know if it flew under the radar or just didn't have as much time or, or what it was, but I think that Eddie Pierre-Louis can be a guy that can be a difference maker at, at a really high level for Oklahoma eventually along the interior of that offensive line. My policy is always like I'm not going to bank on anyone to be a true freshman, uh, especially the SEC along the offensive line, just because it's such a hard position and everything that Bill Biedenboe demands uh, of those guys. But I, I don't see any reason why Eddie Pierre-Louis shouldn't be able to come on in and uh, make a difference maybe as a redshirt freshman or, or a, a sophomore or something like that. And he's a guy that Brett Venables was already – he was gushing about his athletic ability that he currently has right now as far as a, uh, a guy that could go out there. And he was talking about him looking like a, an NFL defensive tackle if he went through like combine stuff right now or things like that. And so uh, I, I, maybe it's just I got a bad gauge of the fan base. Maybe it's because – he committed at a time where we're watching one eye on the portal and everyone's worried about who's coming back, who's going, all that stuff. But uh, if, if Oklahoma had landed Eddie Pierre-Louis in like July, I think this would have been like a, a week-long fanfare. Bill Biedenboe's got himself another stud along the interior because uh, I, I really think that Eddie Pierre-Louis is going to be that guy. And based on guys that you've watched their interviews or games you've seen maybe or any interactions that you've had with them personally, who's going to be – who's your favorite? Like if you were to bump into them down on Campus Corner or something or, or at Target or something Christmas shopping, who's the guy in this class, right, uh, who you're looking forward to just meeting, interviewing, talking to, hanging out with, whatever? Yeah, it- it's not often you get an NFL Europe and NFL Academy product. It's not often that you get guys coming over 
from overseas. And it's not often that you get guys coming from a soccer country that play offensive lines. So Mr. Ekankumi will be the one that I will be uh, not necessarily for soccer stuff or whatever, but just it's just a really unique story, right? It, it's just not something you see a whole lot as far as the uh, the NFL Academy experience, all that. And, and you see he's not a typical recruit. What other recruit commits? And then when the NFL hosts a London game, He's part of the the pregame broadcast on NFL Network, chipping in, yep. talking, all, all that stuff. It, it's just a really, really unique story. I'm fascinated to see how that's going to translate across the pond. Uh, he, I think he did a story with maybe the Athletic, but like, just take us back into when you're taking official visits. What the turnaround is like to fly from the UK over to the US, wherever you're going, all that stuff. Did Bill Beanbow come visit? What What does Bill Beanbow in Europe look like? What does Bill Beanbow in the UK? I, I want to know all of the the grisly details about Bill Beanbow making the trip out, all that stuff. That would be fun. Um, he is a uh, he grew up a fan of Arsenal, so uh, good luck trying to get him to flip to Chelsea. I don't think it's going to happen. So I've, I, I, my understanding is that. Uh, Footy isn't his like number one thing anyway. So though he claims a squad, I don't think we're going to get into any yelling matches. So it's fine. And it's okay. They haven't won a trophy in a long time. So like a a (laughs) big one. So whatever. Enjoy your FA cups friends. Right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I can't wait to to meet him and interview him a couple of times, get to know him a little bit. And he Um, seems dynamic too, from what, uh, you know, outgoing personality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, we haven't talked about, we haven't talked about the friggin' transfer portal. It's been a slow few days. National Signing Day has just sapped the energy right out of the transfer portal news cycle. We podcasted last Wednesday, right? Wednesday? Or yes, we... it was SEC schedule release day last time we podcasted. Yeah. So it was a full week before National Signing Day. Uh, and we haven't talked about the SEC schedule release, which I have right here. Maybe we should do that first. That was a that was a week ago because it was SEC Day as I pitched it on the podcast. SEC Day, they got their schedule released. Let's talk about that real quick. I know it's old news, but we're going to get into our thoughts real quick, real quick on uh, Oklahoma's SEC schedule. They open September twenty first at home against Tennessee. Uh, then they hit their first road game September twenty eighth at Auburn. Then they have an open date. Then they have Texas. So open date before Texas, good. For Oklahoma, uh, October 12th is uh, the Texas game. October 19th, they host South Carolina. October 26th, they're on the road at Ole Miss. Then they have an open date. No, wait, that's the Maine weekend. They play Maine on the SEC's um, kind of grab uh, FCS grab bag weekend, we'll call Cupcake it. Cupcake week. Cupcake week, thank you. It's uh, November 2nd, they play Maine. Then they finish with a bit of a beast. They go at Missouri. Again, 10-win Missouri this year. They seem to have things rolling. Then they have an open date, a real open date this time, November 16th. Then they finish with November 23rd at home against Alabama, and they finish with uh, a final road game at LSU on November 30th. We don't have kickoff times yet, but a lot of those are going to be at night. Some of those road games are going to be at night. Ryan, you have the floor. What are your thoughts, overriding thoughts, takeaways from the SEC schedule? Yeah, it's really hard, I think, in today's college football for me to sit here and be like, Oklahoma's going to go 10 and whatever, or 2 and 5, whatever it is. Uh, I said 8 and 4. Yeah, it, it's it's just with uh, Portal, all that stuff, I don't even really, and maybe I'm bad at my job if I do this, mentally post-spring, like, call, what does the roster look like after spring practice? And then I can, yeah. I, that's when I start to 
dive into who's there and all that. But the, the things that stand out, you look at just the final college football playoff rankings this year and what happened this year. South Carolina is not a bad football team. That's the easiest game on the schedule in conference play. Welcome to the club, boys. Like that, mm-hmm. you wanted the SEC, you got the SEC. That's what closing with Alabama and LSU looks like. But as far as how things laid out, bye week right before Texas, Oklahoma couldn't ask for anything more. Uh, a mini bye week right before a blood feud with Missouri. Everything you could have asked. Missouri is actually on a bye before Oklahoma. Oklahoma is basically on a bye. Uh, it, it's Maine. Nothing against our friends from Maine. I hear the scenery is great, as you can attest to, but that's a bye week. And then getting the bye week right before Alabama. I, if you just asked Oklahoma, you got two buys in Cupcake Week, and this is going to be the order of the schedule. You can't change what order your matchups are. You can only slide in bye week, bye week, Cupcake Week. I'm not sure they would have done much different than putting one before Texas, a true bye week, a true bye week for Alabama, and uh, the the cupcake week right before the blood feud. And, and suddenly with uh, the initial portal stuff, uh, it doesn't look like Ole Miss is going anywhere either. They they have done work in the transfer portal. So uh, good luck, friends. The trip to the Grove going to be tough. Trip to Columbia going to be tough. Trip to Auburn. Hugh Freeze has got that thing recruiting-wise cooking. Might be a year or two away, but uh, what more can you ask for than Baton Rouge in late November? You said blood feud with Missouri. That might have undersold it the way this thing has gone lately. Uh, Will Nonary chooses up Missouri over Oklahoma, and uh, Caden Green leaves Oklahoma, transfers to Missouri. This is uh, the blood feud has turned into an all out war. Uh, on some circles, so not that's, this. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Not this staff, but Luther Byrne was an Oklahoma commit as well. Remember, everybody, right. remember that? Like yep. Oklahoma could have used some Luther Byrne when Andrew Anthony went down last year. Yeah. Yep, you're right. So what we're going to do is uh, we podcast once a week during the non-season. Uh, I guess twice a week during the season, and then once a week during the uh, off season ending at the end of the regular season we don't do that pod post game podcast anymore so we just podcast once a week what we're going to do is we're going to start podcasting every day because there's breaking freaking news every day we haven't talked about the schedule release we haven't talked about the team reassembling and going to practice last week we haven't talked about tawi walker being in the transfer portal and then still playing with the team at the alamo bowl i don't think tawi's officially i don't think tawi's officially in the portal i know this sounds like semantics Tawi has announced he's going to enter the portal. I don't think he's officially in the portal yet. I don't have a login, but I I have not seen the official, like, Tawi Walker's paperwork has been processed in the portal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Britt Venables talked about that a little bit. He was asked about – That was interesting. Gavin Sawchuk said that, you know, it means a lot to him that his teammate wants to stick it out. Britt Venables also is like, uh, it's a unique situation, a.k.a. he's not on scholarship. Tommy Walker will be welcome to test the portal waters. And he said, if he doesn't find what he wants, he's more than welcome to be back in Norman. So I read that as, Hey, Tawi, if you can find a situation, whether that be a location, a region of the country, a conference, a level you want to play at, that is also going to give you a scholarship. Totally get that. We understand that. But if you don't find exactly the fit that you're looking for, Oklahoma's not running Tawi Walker off by any means. Um, interesting that it sounds like that, that probably means he's probably not going on scholarship if he stays with Oklahoma. But uh, I, I just think that's really interesting that uh, in the age of the assumption of you enter the portal and it's done, 
you had you know Theo Weiss entered the portal during the intermediate the the interim period with Bob Stoops and the staff welcomed yeah. him back. Aaron Parks declared portal when the window wasn't open, and that didn't mean that he suddenly wasn't a part of the team, though he's back in the portal again. And yep. Tommy Walker, it's just an it, an interesting that um, you know Brent Venables is not like a just because you say you're going to enter the portal, I'm never going to speak to you again kind of guy. And, and that what we know of Brent Venables, that would be kind of stunning if it was that way anyway. You know what I mean? That, that, that's yeah, not the person. That, that's not the human that we know. The way Brent describes these things too he chooses his words carefully he says some things but sometimes he just says things and then sometimes he really chooses his words carefully like the uh jack uh the uh, uh dylan gabriel going to oregon dylan knows he was welcome to stay and compete in other words we weren't going to guarantee that him that he was not going to beat out jackson or that he was going to beat out jack that he was going to be the starter even though he's been the starter for two years he said he would. He knows he was welcome to stay and compete. He didn't want to stay and compete. He wanted to go to Oregon where he doesn't have to compete. Oh, wait, they signed a five-star guy at Oregon, a five-star, uh, DeAndre Moore. I mean, Dante. I bet he didn't, he didn't see that coming. Well, Dilly Gabriel, always the uh, always <laughs> the, the veteran, sage. If anything, he's just like, whatever, bro. I, I held off Jackson Arnold for a year. I, yeah. I can hold you off. And I can bring you along, but I can also make sure I'm starting. Yeah, probably so. Uh, Speaking of portal, the Sooners have, uh, since our last podcast, have added some people. Sam Franklin, UT Martin, Samuel Franklin, I guess, UT Martin. 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns, 6 yards of carry. He's a guy that's going to beef up the, uh, the running back room. And this running back room, as we all know, Ryan, needs a little beefing up. Yeah, finalist for the Walter Payton, which is the the FCS Heisman there. Um, I, I haven't watched a ton of UT Martin, admittedly, but a, a yeah. guy that averages 6.7 yards per his career uh, that gets the DeMarco Murray seal of approval. Who am I to say that uh, he can't come in and be a piece for this running back room? And if nothing else, like we've seen it the last couple of years, Oklahoma was incredibly lucky a few years back when it was just Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. Uh, Cause you, you've seen last year you had gray stay healthy and uh, you had, um, uh, Javante Barnes be healthy, but Gavin Sawchuck wasn't early. Well, Williams kind of banged up a little bit. Marcus Major dealt with injuries. This year you had the Sawchuck hammy. You had whatever was going on with Javante Barnes. You had Marcus Major banged up again. Tawi Walker got hurt in the Kansas game. Uh, you need a stable of running backs just to get through camp, to get through practice, much less what you're going to have on Saturdays because – this is not the old regime. This team hits at practice, which means that guys get some bumps and bruises at practice, which means that you might not want Gavin Sawchuk taking all your practice reps all week long uh, to get yep. all banged up when you need him to go and run in Columbia against uh, Williams Winery. Uh, that, that's not what you need out of Gavin Sawchuk. And so get that in. And, and then very similarly got a, another body from a place you might not have expected in the tight end room. Yeah, another body in the tight end room. Bauer Sharp is his name. We haven't really explored, um, you know, his uh, his long term. He's from southeastern Louisiana, transfers in. But the fact of the matter, Ryan, regardless of what he did at southeastern Louisiana, 6'5", 245, redshirt sophomore. He's from Dothan, Alabama. Regardless of all that, Oklahoma needs help at tight end. He's got to be uh, somebody who can come in and step in right away. And I don't mean right away for the Alamo Bowl. 
I mean, right away in 2024. Yeah, and when we talked about it earlier, you, you just – I. I think Devon Mitchell is going to be a stud. I think he's going to lead the tight end room and catches next year unless they suddenly get a grad transfer guy or, or something like that. But you don't want him to be the only guy. And for me, mentally, when you see the eligibility as remaining, I kind of thought of this as like you lost Jason the Wellen, so go out there and get a guy that has some similar uh, years ahead of him as, as far as, okay, Jason Llewellyn's going to have a couple more years. Bauer Sharp's going to come in and have a couple more years and give you depth there as a guy that's played a ton of football, right? Because remember, um, you got uh, McIntyre, who I liked, but was banged up most of the year. We've not seen Caden Helms, unfortunately. He's just someone that hasn't been able to make it onto the field. Well, obviously, you know, Don Mitchell's going to be a true freshman. Um, You look at it, if Blake Smith hangs around, he'll have played a little bit of football, but he he was not really used at Texas A&M. you got a bunch of guys that we're not even talking about production. I'm just saying snaps. Who has played snaps of football in college? There's not going to be much of that in the tight end room, and so Sharp's going to bring that regardless of what level he came from. Yeah, Sharp um, redshirted in 2011 when he was a quarterback. I'm sorry, not 2011, 2021. That would be impressive. If he redshirted yeah, in 2011. For 14 years. <laughs> that would be unreal. He's on the uh, Uncle Rico plan. <laughs> um, he uh, he switched to, from quarterback to tight end. He caught 11 passes uh, for 78 yards and a touchdown. He also ran 10 times for 83 yards, including a 55-yard run on a fake punt against Jacksonville State. He caught a touchdown pass uh, victory over Northwestern State. He's a versatile guy. He's athletic. If you've seen his fake punt run, it's pretty impressive. He's not just running straight down the middle of the field. I mean, he's he's doing some stuff. So, yeah, he's a guy that uh, that this the tight end room needs uh, something to have happen. Um, they can't say no to anybody's. No to anybody's yes. at tight. Not an option. Bodies equal good for Oklahoma's tight end room. Um, so, since our last show, which was a week ago plus yesterday, so eight days ago. Again, we got to start podcasting every day. Um, <laughs> Savion Bird left, right? Um, Aaron Parks jumped in the portal. You, you're seeing a uh, – you can almost call it an exodus on the offensive line, especially after the Caden Green stuff, you know. Um, and, gosh, dang it, there's another. There's a fourth guy who left. Nate, Nate Anderson, Aaron Parks, Anderson. Savion Bird, Caden Green. There's your – Yeah, four guys left last week just on the offensive line. I, I, you know, Bird picked OU over, he's from Duncanville and he picked OU over SMU. He ended up transferring to SMU. So not a huge surprise, but he was a guy that if he ever figured it out at Oklahoma, if he ever stopped with the extracurricular penalties or, you know, moved his feet where they were supposed to go or got his hand placement where it was supposed to go, if he just figure out the little finer points, I think he was going to be a multi-year starter at Oklahoma, but he's going to be happy at SMU apparently. Um, and then, Ryan, this came in just in transfer portal news. You had Billy Bowman come back. Then over the weekend, you had um, Danny Stutzman come back. And then, boom, right in between, you had uh, Caden Green leave. And I told you this. There was this feeling that, that Brent Venables has got his culture. These guys are established. These guys are they are coming back, and they want to play for Brent Venables their final year instead of going to the NFL. And then out of nowhere, Caden Green comes in and says, boom, I'm leaving. It's like, what? So I was wrong, right? Brent Venables doesn't have it figured out. He doesn't have the culture, blah, 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 blah. But then the next couple of days, you get Jacob Lacey and DJ Terry come back for their senior years at OU rather than go to the NFL. 
And I think that kind of stabilized things a little bit just in terms of the transfer portal. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm oversimplifying. I think it's just as simple as this. One dude made a business decision. I don't want to dive into it. I think everyone's tired of the Caden Green stuff. It is what it is. But one dude did his own thing. You had Anderson, who that was a guy that hadn't played any. Savion got Wally pipped. And if he had known about Caden, maybe he would have stayed. But I don't know if I want to stay with the coaching staff that looked at not one, but two other options in Everett and Green over me. That to me tells you the coaching staff's probably not super confident in me. That's not a transfer that I think is a big issue at all. It just sucks because Caden Green left. Otherwise, you look at it, the guys you needed to get back on defense, DJ Terry, Jacob Lacey, they're coming back. Mm -hmm. Danny Stutzman, coming back. Billy Bowman, coming back. Yeah. I don't think the book is necessarily finally written on Woody Washington. We'll see how that plays out, but – Oklahoma got all the veteran guys that they wanted to get back in. Uh, we, we talked about Key Lawrence and Brent Middle's quotes that I think were alluding to Key Lawrence and Marcus Major as far as graduate transfers. We talked about that last pod. Uh, that was two Thursdays ago. Welcome to our world. Try to figure that out. But other than that, like if, if you take out, and I know it's impossible to take out a guy that's probably a future All-American, but if you take out one guy's decision – Everyone that hit the portal was expected, and they got everybody back that they wanted. I, I don't know what else that is other than just like, hey, man, on an 85-man roster, not every single person is going to be swimming 85 scholarships, 100-plus dudes. I, you, I don't think you can make overarching the culture is this or that off of just one guy, and the trend is a lot of dudes like playing for Brent Venables. A lot of dudes wanted to come back and play for Brent Venables one more year over the NFL draft. No, I think that's I think that's very well said. That's 100 percent um, accurate because uh, they're, they're, that thing could have gone the other way if they didn't like playing for him, or if they hated Ted Roof, or if they hated Brandon Hall. You know what I mean? If they didn't like their position coach, they could have absolutely said, "You know what? Uh, I can a portal, b NFL, and I can I can get paid for my troubles beyond just NIL." And Oklahoma did a good job ponying up with uh, the, the collective. Did a good job reportedly ponying up uh, in their NIL efforts with uh, some of those guys, especially Billy and Danny. Um, but I think that the culture part of it, I don't think that can be understated. The fact that, Hey, um, these guys chose to come back. They, especially what, you know, Steve Stutzman told you and he told me a more than favorable draft grade. And he told me if uh, anybody else had that draft grade, they'd be leaving for the NFL. Danny chose to come back. So I think that's huge. And I think that says something about Brent. I think that says something about how much these guys enjoy playing for him. Let, let me frame it like this. Let me ask you this. Um, Oklahoma, let's think. When is the last time they had one of these guys defensively with a big decision looming who was going to be, let's just say, a day one or two? Probably a top three round. If not, maybe slip to the top end of the fourth round. That kind of guy. When's the last time Oklahoma had one of those guys come back defensively? Because I was looking through since I've covered the team. um, Nick, and this is not a knock on anyone, any of those guys. It's just the the decisions that they made. Ronnie Perkins went to the draft. Nick Benito Mm -hmm. went to the draft. Let's go. uh, Trey Norwood went to the draft. Parnell Motley went to the draft. Let's go before my time covering the team, but watching the team. Kenneth Murray entered the draft. Like, what, what's the last dude that came back? Oklahoma got two of those in Stutzman and Bowman this year. 
Yeah, you're right. Um, I was thinking Kenneth Murray, and he he was the last really big one, you know, first rounder on defense. And he, he said, nah, I'm good. Three years is plenty. I don't need to come back for college. That was before NIL. So if they had a big NIL deal, maybe he would have come back. I don't know. And no when he made the first round, he made the right decision. Like it's he, not absolutely, yeah, made yeah, the right decision. Starting for the Chargers and all that. So. Yeah. All right, you want to talk hoops? Let's do Seems it. Like a good time to talk basketball. Stick with us because this is going to be interesting. OU started the season ten and zero, number seven in the country going into the game last night, but lost. What was it eighty one sixty nine at Charlotte, which is in North Carolina? That was a decidedly uh, pro North Carolina crowd. Now here's the deal. Ryan, you covered the game for us. Check out the his report at allsooners.com. I thought OU played like hot garbage for about 85% of the game. They 17 turnovers, eight missed free throws. Um, I think North Carolina had six block shots and 10 steals, right? Those are live balls going the other way. Um, but then you look up and there's like four minutes left, three minutes left, and they're within five points. And you're like, wait a minute. They've been playing like trash all night, and they're within five on the road, basically, at North Carolina, who's a top 15 team and looks the part, by the way. They look better than top 15 ranking to me. And that was impressive, Ryan. What a, what a finish for OU. I, I think they take something positive away from that game. Yeah, and, and people may not like that framing of it, but like, look at the start. They started 0-5 from the floor. I think they had four turnovers. You look up, and the team's down 12-2. And this is a team that the most adversity they had faced was it was a back-and-forth game against USC. But when that game happened, USC was ranked. Oklahoma was not. No expectations. Oklahoma got to, like, play free and loose, no pressure. And it was on Black Friday, so, frankly, there was not a ton of eyeballs on it. It was not a pressure-filled situation at UC Santa Barbara's gym where neither Oklahoma or USC are really showing out. Then the Providence game, it was about a two-minute back and forth. Oh, you put the hammer down with about eight minutes left, coasted across the finish line. Against Arkansas, good run to close the first half. Arkansas comes out, throws a punch to start the second half. Oklahoma steadies. It's all OU the rest of the way until the reserves come in and Arkansas's press and all that stuff. This team had not faced adversity in the form of a deficit, a double-digit deficit, or any kind of road atmosphere they looked like it was wide-eyed almost for the first five minutes. They were doing stuff that they've not done all year long as far as some of the really bad turnovers. Then they settle in. Suarez gets fouled on a three. He makes all three of those shots, gets a turnaround jumper. Jalen Moore, a put-back dunk. And with 10 minutes left in the first half, Oklahoma's back within two points. They traded possessions for a little bit. North Carolina went on a run. Out of the second half, it's not really – it's kind of back and forth until Carolina extends it to 15. It looked like the Spectrum Center is about to come unglued. I was like, ah, this is where the blowout happens. And that's when OU chipped away, and, and you're exactly right. They they, they got a couple of stops, and, and a lot of that game in the you know final five to six minutes floated about a five to six point advantage. OU did cut it to three at one point, and then uh, R.J. Davis, he's just exceptional. Like, North Carolina's the better basketball team. I don't think anyone was buying into OU truly being like a top – 10 team, but anywhere from 15 to 25, they're absolutely a tournament team. And I think they're, they're a top 25 team in the country. I think you saw that. And so for a team led by Otega Owe, who's a true sophomore playing a totally different role offensively to kind of get to the line and assert himself and, and be the guy and put up 23 on Carolina. McCollum figured it out a little bit toward the end. He's got to be a little bit better. I, I think that the, 
And and I didn't think too that like Armando Baycott just absolutely abused Sam Godwin and John Hughley. It, it wasn't perfect, but I don't think that anyone's expecting Hughley and Godwin to be dominant bigs. Like they just gotta not allow a ton of offensive rebounds and do their part offensively. I thought they did that for the most part. I, I think the one like real concerning thing, I think there were a lot of positives even in the loss. I don't think they're just a great three-point shooting team. And so if they go out there and they have a night where, again, it was 18 turnovers a season high, if they do that in Big 12 play, which they're gonna going to at some point, you're playing too good of teams, and then they don't shoot the ball well from the free throw line, I don't think they hit enough threes to overcome two of those things. So whether you're looking at turnovers, giving up offensive rebounds, free throws, like you, you can't have two of those three things be really bad on any given night and probably shoot your way out of it. So I, I think that's kind of where the ceiling is for this Oklahoma team as far as uh, you're not going to just simply go through every single night in Big 12 play and win two of those three things, the turnovers, free throws, rebounds. So I think that that's the one thing where I'm still not seeing a ton of three-point shooting outside of the game they played at McCaslin Fieldhouse. But overall, I, in a weird way, I thought that Oklahoma felt like they belonged more on the floor with North Carolina like that was closer to their true skill level, which I think North Carolina is really good than even maybe Arkansas. Like I thought Oklahoma was clearly much better than Arkansas. I thought they were clearly much better than Providence on that night. And I, I think that's an encouraging sign for a team that's probably going to finish their non-conference slate twelve and one. Yeah, you're right. Uh, R.J. Davis um, he came in averaging more than twenty one, and he finished with twenty three last night. He was a, he was he was that guy last night for them for North Carolina. But they got it down. Oklahoma got it down to three. And if they had gotten a stop, uh, I seem to remember North Carolina scored. I think it might have been Davis that scored to stretch it back out Immediately, to five. Immediately, yeah. And then they threw uh, they threw up kind of a prayer on their end, Oklahoma did, and they get it back down to the other end. And it looks like they're going to they're gonna get another stop and, and start head back the other way and try to get it back down to three or something. And North Carolina is on the perimeter and they're passing around. They're doing the Dean, Dean Smith four corners offense, basically. They get it all the way down. Ball gets batted around. Guy grabs it. I can't remember who it was. I think it was Ingram. Uh, Ingram grabs it. Yeah, Ingram. That's right. Uh, grabs it and throws up a prayer and it bounces in off the backboard. And you're just like, not our night for Oklahoma. They, they, you can tell shoulders on the, on the floor just went. Yeah. Like, we thought we had them. Not our night. Uh, but I think this, I think this team, the question I asked you this a couple of weeks ago, do you think they can finish in the upper half, the top seven, the five, be above 500 in big 12 play? Yeah. I mean, I, I think absolutely. They played like garbage and were in it at the end. And I know if you just look at the final score, it was fouling that got it back to the, the final deficit. Uh, but they played like garbage for 25 minutes of those 40 minutes basically on the road against a North Carolina team that's better than them, and they had a chance to win. I, I think that you're seeing there 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 are still a lot of really good teams in the Big 12, but I don't think Baylor's like a top 10 quality team. They got kind of pantsed by Michigan State and then beat by Duke. Kansas and Houston, they're that good. Uh, I think Baylor's pretty good, probably a ranked team. I think Iowa State, if they string it together, ranked team. I think K-State on the day, but I think Oklahoma is closer to a top four team than they are a bottom half team in the Big 12, which is saying something based off where we thought they would be coming into this year, which is probably just hoping to string a couple of wins together and maybe make the tournament. All right. That's good stuff, Ryan. Appreciate you jumping on as always, my man. Absolutely, for sure. And uh, don't look now, but yesterday was 40 days until softball season, which sent me into an existential crisis because I turned around and I was like, <laughs> 
I can't. I need a week. I somebody. I need a week to process that information. We're we're uh, it's we're trucking along here. Get to allsooners.com, Click on the softball tab and just satisfy your uh, your need for softball copy. What you need to do is click on the football tab or the recruiting tab and look at Randall's um, unbelievable efforts yesterday. Like I said, sixty seven pieces of content he posted. On National Signing Day yesterday, got it up to 69 with some posts late last night. So uh, you're missing out if you don't check out AllSooners.com's recruiting coverage. We absolutely carpet bombed the place yesterday. It was <laughs> fantastic. It, and the and the best thing, if you if you want to find one spot, just Google Oklahoma Signing Day Central SI. Just type that into your Google search bar. I guarantee you. Hooves Signing Day Central, which is one kind of landing page for every commit. That if we did a National Signing Day interview, their highlights, Randall's uh, capsule breakdown, his evaluation, all that stuff. Just Google Oklahoma Signing Day Central SI. I guarantee you, it'll be the first thing you click, and uh, that's a, your one-stop shop. And it's a choose-your-own-adventure from there. Have a ball, have fun. I spent probably like an hour and a half in that file the other day, just being like, or yesterday, being like. Is everything good? Let me check on everything. Oh my gosh, there's so much here. Oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to check everything. I hope they got it right. Good job, boys. Yeah, it's not every uh, All Sooners file that has 150 links in it. <laughs> so, so check that out. It'll take you uh, to where whatever you need to know about uh, this particular young man or that particular young man that signed with the Sooners yesterday. Ryan, thanks, man. For sure. And uh, yeah, do the five-star rating review. I don't know what that is, but do, do it. Do it. Do it. Five star. That's right. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners Podcast. You can find that show and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners Podcast. It's easy. It's also posted on our website, All Sooners. Dot com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.